0: It doesn't matter who you play in this league, and we got to if we if we want to get to where we want to go, we better start ramping it up and recognize that and treat every game as if it is a playoff game. We have really good veteran leadership here, Chris, and we have guys that are on defense specifically that are into football, they're passionate about it, they prepare really really well. I got I, listen, I got a great group of guys that prepare really well, and when they take that into the game, I think that's what gives you an edge, whether you're home or away. Yeah, we're fortunate here. In the next couple of weeks, we will be. Here here at Arrowhead, uh, but somewhere along the way, here we're going away to play our last game, and who knows, we might have to do it in the playoffs. But I think the veteran leadership is what's got to step up in those particular situations.
1: Welcome to the Green Light Podcast. Cowboy, take me away. Thanks for jumping on with us today. As you can see. A packed show. Stanford Steve joins as usual, but we don't have Macon. The Macon man couldn't join today, but he still sent in his locks. We're still doing locks. The best bets of NFL Week 16 are given out on the show today. We've also got Chiefs defensive coordinator Steve Spagnuolo. He's going to talk to Chris about his Chiefs defense and how dominant they are this season. Playing against Bill Belichick and Josh Allen. Some Super Bowl memories from the last couple years. In making in-game adjustments, how difficult that is as a coach. But to kick things off, and the first 45 minutes you're here is all Eagles talk. Chris dissects the game from Monday night, what went wrong. He dissects the issues and problems he sees going on in Philadelphia and how they might be remedied, how they can be fixed so the Eagles can have a successful end to the season. Y'all enjoy the show. Please have a great time listening to it. We'll be back on Thursday. That's right, Thursday, we've got our previews. We've got our week 16 previews coming out
2: tomorrow. It
3: Welcome to the show. Today we got Spag, Steve Spagnuolo. Uh, in my opinion, one of the best coordinators in the NFL. That Chiefs defense is the reason I believe in that team. Uh, obviously you got Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. But the thing that they have is, you know, you got this offensive genius, you also have a defensive genius in his own right. Somebody who and I asked him this engineered one of the most unlikely best defensive runs in playoff history with that Giants defensive front, like middle of the season, you know, the Chiefs aren't like this right now. They're more like, you know, the Bills are more like the, the Giants at that point where you're kind of playing for your life midway through the season. You're, you're around 500 and you you got to go on a run and win the whole thing. The Bills might have that same path, but his team, the Chiefs, you know, the the place that they can draw, at least defensively, a lot of experience uh, from Steve is this group hasn't had to go on the road to win in the playoffs. And they have a lot of playoff experience. We make a big deal about Patrick Mahomes not going on the road, but can that defense travel? I think they can. I think it helps to have a guy in the building that's seen it and engineered it and... um for Spags, I, I owe him a lot. Like we, we, we were on some bad teams, you know, like I think the cards were kind of stacked against him in St. Louis. We weren't very talented. We had trouble. He lasted a couple years, but his first year there, uh, I can remember vividly walking out to, to training camp and I'm a high pick my first year. Uh, it's fine, but it's not great. Um, and I am going through a lot of learning I'm going through a steep learning curve. I mean, going from a 3-4 in, in college to, the four, to a 4-3. And then, like, it's not like 4-3 where you run up the field and Spag's defense is fire zones. It's you're playing head up on a tight end and a six technique. Like, it was a tough defense to pick up. And, you know, we're walking out to practice, and I'll, I vividly remember this, him pulling me aside and looking up with that Boston accent that I used to bust his balls about until he benched me. And he said, hey, Chris, you know, like, uh, we're going to go with Victor Adianju. He's going to start for us, start the season. And there were a lot of really good vets in that room. This was the old CBA. There were guys that could, could still play, like I had James Hall, Leonard Little, guys like that. Um, and certainly, I took that personally. Um, I was working my ass off. I was working as hard as I, I humanly could but maybe I wasn't working smart enough. And Spags having that conversation with me, pulling me aside being like, "Hey man, this isn't about you the dude. I love you. Um, you're going to help us, but you know, like I I I want to start Vic." And I knew in my head at that point and that's not taking anything away from Vic. You know, this was a message. You know, it wasn't necessarily like he was picking the best guy. He was sending me a message, and that second year in the NFL, it took until about halfway through I started coming on, and I, you know, I can I can attribute that to a lot of things, but one of them that I maybe don't think about enough is Steve pushing me. So I appreciate the dude, and I've stayed in touch with him after the Rams. Um, he's been with the Chiefs. I've been enjoying watching him call defenses there, and he's got a great group. And I loved when he popped on, he was like, hey, and my producers heard it, and I believe it because bags is my guy. He's like, I'm not doing a lot of these. I'll do it for you. So If you want to get inside the head of an elite defensive coordinator midweek in the middle of a playoff push, we got Spags, and he's coming up. But first, I got to empty the chamber on the Eagles, because as you know, this isn't an Eagles podcast, but that place is near and dear to my heart. Obviously, they kind of limp in, so to speak, to that Monday night game against the Seahawks, and I didn't feel great about it. I didn't feel great about it, but I didn't feel great about it because of the defense. And at this point, I don't know that Drew Locke's starting, but I don't feel good about it because you're changing coordinators, the back end, you got Slay down, you got a bunch of guys back there. And this is a group that just put up almost a 50 spot on the Cowboys, it felt like a couple of weeks ago. They're starting to figure things out outside. And so I was worried, but I did not think sitting here today on Tuesday that I would be looking at the offense as the reason that they couldn't get it done. And I know a lot of people have had concerns about that offense all, all season long. And I've seen the things that people are concerned about, but they go to Dallas. The problem in Dallas was the defense. The defense got completely overpowered, outmanned. You know, they couldn't match their speed. And in the run game, it wasn't good enough. The offense, I thought, moved the ball but couldn't hold on to the ball. Okay, so I'm coming in this game and I'm thinking the offense is gonna take care of the ball. They're gonna run the football. It's gonna look like that first drive the whole game and it didn't. And defensively, I gotta give some credit to Matt Patricia. I know we're gonna talk about having James Bradbury on JSN at the end of the game and that two minute drive. But I thought for most of the game, the, the opportunity to walk away with this thing and fly back to Philly with a lead in the NFC East was right there for the taking. And the group that fumbled it, so to speak, was the offense. What's Christian McCaffrey saying on the Manning cast? He's calling out Eagles plays. And I know we might be making a lot of that. But in the context of this offense right now, it's not a good sign. This offense is predictable. You know exactly what they're going to do. And I think drive one is as good as it was. And that's your first 15. It's got to be good. This is a spacing, passing offense. Like... That's what they're gonna be in. And I know Jalen prefers it, probably spaced out. But looking back at last year, you look at like the Minnesota game, his coming out party. There's a lot more crossers, there's floods, there's all types of stuff. There's more traffic. It's more complex. And we know who Shane Steichen is. We know he's a whiz. We know it's hard to, to replace a coordinator. We know it's hard to replace two coordinators. Only a couple teams have ever had to do that off of a Super Bowl. I think you have to go back to the Patriots in 2005, and I think the the Niners in 1994. And the outlook on something like that isn't great, but this is not good. This is a regression. This doesn't look like the Jalen Hurts I know. This doesn't look like the offense I know. And I think the worst part is they can't close games out. Okay, you got a fucking offensive line that has a, 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 a Christmas album. That's how well known these guys are. For offensive linemen to be famous, do you know how good they have to be at football? For them to run a play that the competition committee is up your ass about every week, for the entirety of a season, and to watch 31 other teams full of big giant men, professionals, fail miserably, hurt themselves doing this play. Of course, I'm talking about the tush push. And for you not to be able to close out games in the second half with a lead in the fourth quarter, when you wear teams down and you let those big guys lean on you, if they can't close a game out, who can? And so go through these games. I mean, New England, they're up five with under four left. They end up with a turnover on downs. I think they have two two possessions that last under a minute. Um, The Rams game, they're under three minutes. They turn it over on downs. The Jets game, they're under five minutes. They have a two-point lead. Hurts throws a pick. Dallas, up 11 with 10 minutes to go, 3 and out, 6 minutes to go, 3 and out, 117 to go, 3 and out. And, you know, Kansas City, 5 minutes to go. You pick up one first down, you punt. Now, I know games like that, it's not always going to be easy. You're not going to have those Tampa Bay drives that last 8 minutes on Monday Night Football or earlier this year where they look like the group they should. But Buffalo, for instance, you don't know when, when your, your last shot at closing the game out is going to be. Okay. And then you got to go to overtime and kick a, a you know, 60 yard field goal in the rain. Like, if that's where you want to leave it to chance, then, then be my guess. But with 850 to go, you go three and out. And then Seattle, you end up coming up empty when you got the ball in the 50 yard line. Okay. And four minutes to go. You have a first down midfield, four minutes to go. I think it's DeAndre Swift is sliding like right idea, wrong time. You're, you end up guarding against a, a touchdown, uh, which you'd be doing anyways, but you'd be going to overtime had you picked up another 15, 20 yards and kicked a damn field goal. Because the, the, I don't know if you know this, but the seconds run off the same when you're in plus territory as they do when you're at the 50 yard line. That slide move is for inside two minutes somewhere close to the goal line. You know? Um, but this team hadn't been able to close people out. Offensive line has a fucking. Uh, a Christmas album they have and I, I think the I think the, the world of these guys and I don't think they're the problem you know Jalen's back there he's got enough time to bake a cake most times I watch him throw the ball Lane Johnson is all world okay you've got a guy from fucking New Zealand that looks like he should be an extra in in like you know a movie about Giants I can't think of where, what movie he should be in. He should be a pro wrestler. The guy is six foot seven. My wife asked me last night, why are they so good at the Tush Push? I pull up the roster. I'm like, you remember this guy, Jordan Mailata? Did you ever see him at the Super Bowl party or any of this stuff? Like, the guy's a fucking giant. They have a Swiss Army knife at center who's playing his ass off. They've got guards that have played really well. You know, you've had to cycle some guys in. But the point is, there's no excuse for you not closing games out. And I'll get back to the passing concepts. The passing concepts are the biggest canary in the coal mine for me. If you really watch the tape, the all 22, you get on the sideline and you look at the spacing, it's so vanilla, it's so predictable, um, I don't know what to say. You know, like 142 to go in the first half, you hit Smitty, you run the same concept three times in a row, three incompletions, And you punt the ball. Okay. You talk about the middle eight. You talk about making plays before and after the half. Not good. You know how many punts I saw in that in that at the end of that that half? Like the Eagles shouldn't be punting at all. They have everything they need to go down and get a score. They have the matchups, they have the physicality. But last night they couldn't do it because they're predictable. And so, you know, they've been a bad early down passing team all year. That's been quite as kept a big problem for them. Not a lot of motion, very static offense. But I'm going to tell you about a play last night that really irked me when I watched it on the All-22 today. Okay, it's the end of the third quarter. It's 17 to 10. You're knocking on the door of getting into plus territory. It's third and eight. You have motion. You get what you want. You get Smitty running across the field, 8 to 10 yards deep. He's at the sticks. He's got a guy trailing him 5 yards behind him. A.J. Brown's cleared him out. He's got a lot of green grass. This motherfucker's going to run for a while. But Jalen just doesn't even see him or doesn't care to look at him and takes a shot to A.J., which, of course, Ends up being a waste. And I've been a big proponent of them being more aggressive this year, but there has to be something in between those two extremes, like something to the flat, something deep. You know, like that's kind of what that offense feels like to me right now. And in between, it's a lot of predictable shit. And at the end of the game, the second to last possession, it's third and seven after DeAndre Swift slides down at the 50-yard line. You've got a chance to ice this thing, and it's right there for you. They bring five there's a pocket there. I don't know how long it's gonna be there, but there's a pocket there, and Jalen bails to the side that's, that's, I mean, it's like a fire drill over there. And he's trying to get out of the pocket and make something happen, and I respect him, the whole thing, and then he runs back, he's, he's reversing field trying to make a play, but time's up. The read you had to make was right at the sticks, and it's Dallas Goddard. And if you watch that play again, he's standing there with his hands out, and, yeah, he's got somebody coming down on him, and he would have been wearing a backpack at the sticks, but at least you'd be at the sticks. But because you vacate the pocket, which I'm not saying that's something that he does all the time. I'm not saying this is a guy who can win in the pocket. We've seen it before. He's a, he's a passer, okay? He's a, he's a pro quarterback. So this isn't all about Jalen Hurts, but why not hit Dallas Got it right there? Why make something more out of it than you have to? And I know these are just two third downs, and we wouldn't be talking about them if the passing game didn't look so inconsistent and disjointed at times, because with the game on the line, the read is right there. And I think what's telling is Dallas Dallas Goddard's standing there, and I don't wanna misread him, but he's standing there after the play. He's standing there almost the entirety of the play before he realizes he's gotta get into the scramble drill when Jalen reverses fields, and he's got his hands out. You know, almost as if to say, I'm right here, you know? And I don't think Jalen's seeing it right now. That doesn't mean he can't see it, okay? I think that's the biggest takeaway for me. By the way, the screens are awful. I don't even know what they're doing with half of these screens, but to me, this should be one of the best screen teams in the NFL. You know who runs a really good screen game? Washington. They've been good at it this year. You know who runs a really good screen game? Kansas City. They've been really – I mean, they're always good at it. But, you know, like maybe the, the commonality there is Eric Bieniemy learned something from, from Andy and then took it to Washington. Somebody's got to know something about getting more out of these screens in that building. And I don't know who it is, but somebody's got to know something. So you're not closing games out. The passing concepts are vanilla. The offensive line's great. The receivers are really talented. I think you have the guy at quarterback. Like I I'm not here to say in this moment that there's a better option somewhere. And it's amazing how quickly things swing. And I think it's a perfect example of when you lose a play caller, you don't just lose the plays, you don't just lose the scheme, you lose the, the, if, the if the play sheet is a menu, you lose the guy with taste. You know, it knows what to order, what not to order. He knows how to, how to talk you through the scheme. He knows how to communicate the scheme. He knows how to game plan. I think too often people assume that when a coordinator leaves, you know, offenses run themselves. It's like, it's like a machine. You know, if if the scheme's good, you're gonna be able to play good football. Like that's not even true necessarily. But in this situation, when the scheme is vanilla, and on top of that, you don't have the guy that has the soft touch of Shane Steichen, like it really shows up and it shows up for the quarterback. I talked about them losing two coordinators. That doesn't happen a lot, but this is an example of why fans should never be so sure they know who a quarterback is and how good he is. And I mean good. I can tell sometimes when a guy's bad, but sometimes we can't tell when things are going really well for a quarterback, how we're supposed to judge the context of the situation. And I think this is a great lesson of why, and I just talked about this on Kevin Clark's pod, and I think it goes for any position in the NFL. Context matters. You give me one position, I could tell you the five, five contextual elements that might dictate how that player is going to play. For for quarterbacks not named Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Jackson, it applies to you. And I, I think too often that A or B conversation leaves people salty. I don't know why we why we have to whisper our takes about quarterbacks. You know, I don't know. I don't know why it's like politics to people. Why are quarterbacks? Why do people take it so personally? The guy doesn't know you. And I'm not talking about Jalen Hurts, whoever your favorite player is, he doesn't know you. But you're going to bat for your favorite quarterback. Like it's a political debate. And you're watching TV like the the fate of our country is at stake. Why is it that if you look at a roster on any given team and you say, hey, we need to upgrade a guard, I think that, that wide receiver's got to go next year, that tight end. I know that quarterback's the most important position on the field, but people take these conversations very personally. And last year, had you said that Jalen Hurts might not be in the echelon of Patrick Mahomes, I, I would—I think maybe I would have got mugged. I mean, I was very careful making statements like that last year. Because you, you don't want it to come across as hate. It's not hate. It's just facts. The facts are what we're talking about is, can this guy do it alone? Can this guy do it in any weather? Can this guy do it no matter who walks in and calls the plays? Can he do it with whoever's outside a wide receiver? You see the the room in Kansas City, the way it affects Patrick Mahomes, and there's nobody better on the planet. So you don't think a coordinator is going to affect a guy who probably lands in the upper tier of that echelon that I'm alluding to? It absolutely does. And so I think... Jalen Hurts is a winner. I think Jalen Hurts is a good pro quarterback. I think he's a guy that I'd like to have on my team. Okay, so make no mistake about it. I'm a Jalen Hurts fan, but he needs some help. He's not one of those guys that can do it alone. And if you're, and if, if you're an Eagles fan, and you say, well, every year is gonna look like 22. Every run's gonna look like 22. We said this at the beginning of the season. The roster's a little bit different. I expect this team to be really good, but they might take a step back in some areas. And boy have they, but I did not anticipate that it would be this glaring on offense um, because the players out on the field are pretty good. I think Jalen's a good player. And you know, he had his struggles early. I went to watch Jalen play and, and I've seen pre-2022 uh, Jalen, you know, in person. I went to Vegas to watch them play the Raiders you look like that's not the guy I saw in 22 and obviously there's a learning curve and the whole thing and you're projecting upward right but what nobody ever does is project downward and i think the reality is you have your mvp caliber season in 2022 nobody can take that away from him uh and then in, and then you get your coordinator poached by Indy and this is why i get so bent out of shape about people hiring defensive head coaches for and i mean this a very select few quarterbacks, like Justin Herbert in the Chargers, you have to worry about those regressions. You know, you, you just do. If you lose your coordinator because your quarterback takes that next step, you're almost saying that success for us is starting over. You know what I mean? You at home, you know what I mean? If, if you hire an offensive head coach, The best possible outcome is that it changes the quarterback and they stay together for a long time. When you hire a coordinator, uh, you know, when you hire a defensive guy or the play caller isn't the head coach, it can be hard when that changes. And so I, I think I've seen this movie before. It's a perfect example of why you have to judge players in context. And this is the inverse of last year. Everybody wants Brian Johnson fired in Philly. Okay, I opened my fucking newspaper today, got on the timeline. You don't have to be a detective to know that. If he's that bad, do you think Jalen Hurts is this bad? That's the only point I'd make, you know? And I know for a lot of people who don't digest nuance, they're gonna come out of this thing and say, some people are gonna say I'm on here ripping Jalen Hurts. Some people are gonna say I'm on here caping for Jalen Hurts. It's your job to get the truth out of this thing, which is nuance, which is context matters. Um, and if you take anything away from that, I hope you do because that's what it's about. There's only a couple guys that can fly in any weather. Um, but here's the here's the real issue with this team. Okay, so if they figure that out, they could, they could call Frank Reich and be like, hey, what you up to? You you up? You know that kind of thing. They could they could tell Brian Johnson, like, take a walk, don't stop walking, you know, get on I-70 and just keep driving and don't come back, or they could they could promote somebody in the building. I don't know who that be. Howie has contingency plans for everything, but what does it look like when you when you replace two coordinators within a two week span? I think for a lot of organizations that might look, look like panic. For for Howie Roseman, it just looked like more of a Howie Roseman thing where he's like, he doesn't leave anything to chance. So don't be sure that this guy calling the plays is going to be the guy calling the plays at the end of the year. Maybe it's Nick Siriani. Um the defense, though, that's not going to change. There's certain things about this defense that's not going to change. Um, did it look different with Matt Patricia? I do think it looked different. I think a lot of people take that that play at the end of the game and are going to say, "Hey, it's it's just that," you know, like. But I saw a lot of good ball in the first half. I saw a lot of sound football at different times of the night. Um, Seattle threw a lot of motion at them, and I, I think I would too because you can see guys straining to communicate at times. With a, new, with a new coordinator, there's some things, some wrinkles that he's going to throw in that, that, you know, maybe he didn't have before. Um, he threw in some run blitzes in the second half. He got hit on one. Okay. Uh, little single high on some of the early third downs. I think he can stop the bleeding, but I don't know if he can overcome the talent issue they have, you know, on the back end. This is not a fast team defensively. It's an aging group, um, and it's... And it's a team that's had to dip into that depth bag pretty bad on the back end. You know, a lot of teams make Super Bowl runs. I don't know how many teams make Super Bowl runs down five, six starters on defense. And, you know, rolling out a bunch of, you know, guys off the street. Uh, different combinations of them throughout the whole year. That's not a winning formula. And the end of the game sucks, okay? I, I, I get it. Like, it, it sucks. Where's the safety? If you're going to put Bradbury over there on JSN who's their best guy on third down. You're defending against the touchdown. There's got to be safety help. The thing that was so eerie to me is that JSN touchdowns, it looks identical to the touchdown he scored in the Rose Bowl. Same pylon, same thing. It was like you could intersperse both players, and it looked the exact same. And with the game on the line, they went to him, and they beat Bradbury. And I know that that drive, he had been struggling. They'd been going at him. They've been all night. They've been going at him. I think seven for eight for like over 100 yards. They're going at him by way of DK, you know, uh, who hadn't really done a lot to that point. He had a big screen down the red zone. But, you know, that big chunk on the right sideline, they broke off. I don't know if he could cover it better. And I really feel for James because he's going to bear the brunt of the entire drive in the minds of Eagles fans. And I get it. He's a step slower. He's older. He's not a man corner, but he's what you got right now. And the thing I love about Bradbury after the game, if you can love anything about Bradbury after the game, is he's sitting on that stool and he said, That's on me. I mean, we already know it's on you, but that's on me. I was too aggressive. He didn't point fingers. He didn't say Matt Patricia should have had me in a different call. He didn't say the front should have gotten there. He didn't say any of that. Uh, And I want to be careful what I say here because I'm not trying to I'm not trying to come at players. Okay? Like especially Eagles because I think Darius Slay is a really good player. I mean he's better than I was. He's better than I ever was in Philly. Uh, So I'm not punching and I'm not punching up. But I did not like his comments on his podcast after the game. And I'm not the first to tell him that or or to express that. Like After the Cowboys game, and maybe I'm overly boiling it down, but when you say these two things together, it's never a good combination. You can say one or the other, but don't say both. When you say, hey, After the game, you want to defend yourself and say, hey, I played pretty good. There was a lot of games where I took a lot of shit and I played real well. So I know where he's coming from. And I'm not going to pass judgment on how he played in that game. But maybe the advisable thing would have been to just be like, hey, we need to be better. But he didn't leave it at that. He said, I didn't play bad. I actually played really well. The team played like shit. You can't do that. No one gets to say that. You know, like if he was my teammate, I'd be like, what's up with that, dude? I'm sure we'd have a great relationship and everything but but i didn't like that and juxtaposed to you know james bradbury after the game saying hey that's on me and i kind of feel i have empathy for james bradbury because he's doing the best he can he's older he probably won't be there next year he's a guy that a lot of guys respect in that locker room but he's not a man corner he's in a tough spot and he's playing with a bunch of guys around him so you know when you look at that last drive did they did they get scared off of metcalf yeah i i don't think he could have covered that ball any better on the right sideline. That's just a perfect fucking throw and a perfect catch. He got beat by JSN, but that Metcalf play, sometimes those guys get paid too. And you know, the matchups are what got Matt Patricia the opportunity he has right now, the bad matchups. He's got to stay out of those. I don't think it's necessarily a bad matchup if you have safety help. The defense did a good job in the first half. The Seattle Seahawks came out in the second half, put some tight ends on the field, decided, hey, we're going to take advantage of, of having Morrow and these guys sifting through traffic, get the ball out on the perimeter. Our second level is better than their second level. And, you know, we're going to run the ball a little bit. You know, like I said, they hit them on some run blitzes. But the thing that, that was really a, a, a tough one for me, it's like it's like the defense's version of that third and seven or the, the third and ten, the two third downs that I listed late in the game that Jalen just didn't see it. It's second and three okay they throw a swing pass into the flat brown comes down and he's got him six yards deep can't make the tackle bad tackling has plagued this group the whole year and bad linebacking plays plagued the group the whole year so so brown can't make the tackle six yards deep and then leonard's bearing down trying to make the play he looks lost in space that play right there encapsulates a lot of their problems um not just the coverage stuff but guys not being able to tackle linebackers struggling in space. And that drive is capped by what I think is the biggest problem with the Eagles' defense right now. Some things you're not going to be able to change. You're not going to be able to change the talent. Okay, like there's there's no Superman. The thing you realize about the NFL at a certain point in the season is like there's nobody coming to the rescue. It's kind of like in a game when Dallas is getting the ball run up their ass by Buffalo, they realize as James Cook pushes past them in that 10-yard gain where it's like a whole pile of bodies moving like – Oh, fuck. Like, we can't just mash a button and stop the run. The Eagles can't mash a button and, and get some coverage guys in the building. They're, they're just not out there. They, there's only so many pro football players, like, walking around this planet right now. You, the guys in street clothes, there's not but so many of those either. And there's just no magic bullet. I think they're going to struggle on the back end. That's going to be a reality. If you win, and this is why I'm, I'm talking about the offense, you're going to have to win some shootouts. They're down six or seven starters. The defense is in shambles. But I think the biggest issue, when I watched that game last night, you're going to Seattle, okay? I played there a bunch. Seattle's beat the Eagles a bunch of times in a row. But when I was in St. Louis, we went there. It was an annual fucking thing. Week 17, back when we only had 17, and I used to walk to school in the snow, and we had, like, regular remote controls that, you know, it was just an up-and-down arrow and no smart TVs and all that bullshit 18 weeks, week 17, Seattle and the Rams. And when you go up and play in that place, that's what it feels like to go play a playoff game on the road. Seattle in December. And as I've said before, the NFL, what I think separates the NFL for me is every week is the playoffs. Whether you realize it or not, we don't need a play-in tournament. In fact, we have a play-in month. We have a play-in four to six weeks where everything matters. And with everything on the line, Dallas loses a game, they get fucking killed in Buffalo. You got a chance to go right the ship on the road. Again, I'm not blaming the defense for the loss, but what I did notice is that this team does not play with emotion. You're down starters, everybody thinks you suck. Philly's ready to implode if you lose the game. So why aren't you playing like your back's against the wall? Why aren't you playing with emotion, you know? and I. it's a real like, like Joe fan thing to, to bring to the table in my analysis of this defense. And I've given them their flowers. I mean, they, I thought they hung in at times last night against a team that, even with Drew Locke back there, they got some guys outside and they got good backs and they're a good football team. But I didn't see anybody celebrate. Like Nolan Smith blasted Kenneth Walker. Didn't see anybody celebrate. Third and nine, I, we get a sack. You know, there's two fists up. Where's the guys mobbing those guys? You know, where's the guys that are jumping on your back after you make a sack? Where's the guys that are fucking headbutting each other, screaming at each other, trying to scare the shit out of the offensive line that you just abused? Like, where's that emotion that sometimes you have to manufacture in life or as, as football players? Some days you have a bad day, you gotta like almost trick yourself. You gotta, you gotta walk into the office, and I don't do a good enough job of this, but walk into the office just fucking smiling like, so people are like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? And it'd be the same thing. And I've been on some bad teams. I've been on one in 15 teams. I've been two and 14 teams. You have to play with emotion. You have to celebrate every play you make. You celebrate your teammates. And I just didn't see it. Morrow has a big play on third and two. Like, I just didn't see that juice. It, it, it looked flat. It looked like a group that was shell-shocked. When Drew Locke beats you to the pylon because he's so excited to get a block at that pylon, and he beats the entire defense to that pylon, that's a problem. And they can fix it, but the leadership, and I know they have great leaders, Fletcher, BG, those guys, it can't just be them. They need these young guys in the back end to play with more intensity. They need the backers to be mobbing each other when they make a play. They need to mob Jalen Carter when he makes plays. When Jalen Carter, Jalen Carter did some amazing shit last night had to run the tape back and show my son like a good football dad. I had to rewind two minutes of the game to go back and show Jalen Carter uh, bench pressing a guard into Kenneth Walker, bouncing him seven yards behind the line of scrimmage, create a TFL. They didn't talk about it on the broadcast because they're talking about one of the calls from two plays earlier. But a couple plays later, he beats the guard so fast. Drew Locke can barely get the ball off. He does. They go to review it. It's a sack. Jalen Carter was dogging people. Why aren't we dogpiling this motherfucker when he makes a play? If I was playing with Jalen Carter, you wouldn't be able to get me to stop celebrating those plays. Have some some emotion out there. You got to trick yourself into doing it, even when your team's not great. In fact, when you're bad on defense, you got to play with more emotion. And so that's the predicament they're in. Like, where's the emotion? Where's the feeling like if we lose this game, it's over? Because that's what every every game should feel like from here on out. Um, having said that, Eagles fans, you know, and any fan of a team that's struggling, well, no, this part doesn't apply to you because not every team's ten and four. But the Eagles are ten and four, man. You're ten and four. Do you know how hard it is? And I said this after the Bills game because that same team is in there. Same team that we're lauding for their their the stones they have to hit that kick to go into overtime to win it, the same team that we're like ah oh, their experience is what carried them to you know eight and one or you know whatever they were a couple weeks ago that same team's in there, it's pretty remarkable they're here, and you know I think a lot of people would take this situation you know like I played on a lot of bad teams I alluded to that I'd have killed to be on the Philadelphia Eagles ten and four in the thick of it with a chance to win the division with a chance to host a playoff game, some guys never sniff the playoffs. So if I was on that team, what I'd be saying is like, hey, when I was in St. Louis for eight years, I'd have killed to be you. Why are we playing like, like, like there's nothing to play for or like we're defeated? There's nothing to be defeated about. It's the holiday season. Nobody died, okay? You got a lot to be thankful for. As a football fan, I'm talking to you fans, Eagles fans. I know, you don't want to hear it from me, but... I'm just telling you, I stayed up to the end of the game last night. I got my seven-year-old son, Whalen. He shouldn't be awake watching this game. He's on Christmas break. But this was a big moment for me. Like, even the Eagles losing, like, you're spending time with your family. You're watching your favorite team. There, that's a beautiful thing. I mean, 10 years ago, if you were 10-4 and four under Chip Kelly, getting ready to host the playoff game, and I think you actually did host the playoff game once with Chip Kelly, but if, if you were in that situation, you'd be like, we're having a pretty good year. I'm not asking you to lower your standard, but everything you wanna do is out in front of you. It was gonna be just as hard three, four weeks ago. People just didn't know it yet. And I think that's the difference now. Um, I watched that game with my son. I watched the whole game with my son. You know, he shouldn't be up that late. Halftime comes, he actually has to take a shit. And he said his stomach still hurt like into the third quarter. And then eventually I got keen on the fact that like he just, he just wanted to stay awake and watch the Eagles. And I said, you know what, buddy, you and I are staying awake to watch the whole Eagles game. You know, my wife goes to bed in the fourth quarter when she's thinking, she didn't hear this whole rundown of all the games they have not closed out. She's thinking they probably win. Uh, and, and poor Waylon, he's got to watch the whole thing. But it's really special to me to be able to watch football with my son. You know, he's like, Dad, did you ever play there? I'm like, I played there a lot. <laughs> you know, Dad, did you, what was that field like? Um, you know, there's a fan in Seattle that hangs out in the visitor's tunnel right in the corner and he's still there. And, you know, it's cool to be able to say to my son, like, Hey, I know that guy. Um, I was there every year. Um, we got to watch fastest three minutes in football. He'd never seen it before. He was looking at Chris Berman, like he had magical powers. Okay. So on nights like last night where the Eagles lose and the over doesn't hit (laughs) because that killed me, you know, I put that in a week ago, didn't know that, captain uh captain put on for my city was starting for the seattle seahawks or that the eagles would forget how to play offense um it kind of feels like the sky is falling but i guess all i'm saying is take a breath i hate the fact that every time i log on right now it's people arguing about football like it's politics i hate the fact that some people think the world is ending because the eagles are 10 and 4 they might not be that good they might not be the best team in the NFC. They might not be whatever you want them to be this year, but they're a good football team. There's a good football team in there with some issues that they got to fix. And if they're not, if it looks just like what happened to Carson Wentz the year after we lost Frank Reich, if it looks like you know uh, that this year and you lose in the divisional round or card weekend, the Eagles are in the playoffs, It's been a really good run. I think there's a lot more good stuff to come, but there's some issues on this team that you just can't fix, like waving a wand. Um, And a lot of that's personnel. As for Seattle, Leonard Williams made some big plays for them. That was exciting. Drew Locke outplayed you know, the guy last year that we were comparing to Patrick Mahomes. Uh, So this was a big moment for him. You saw him after the game. You're seeing guys like Jake Browning win. You're seeing guys like, you know, um, Drew Lockwin, you're seeing guys, you know, that haven't had these opportunities in a while, getting them. And you have to smile and tip your cap to that guy because the throws he made at the end of the game, he's going to remember those the rest of his life. And I know you will too, even if you're on the Eagles side, because that one sucked. But Pete Carroll, still enjoying it, still doing it, never in my wildest dreams, that when they fired Mora, I think, after my rookie year, and Pete Carroll became the coach, I thought this guy from USC, one of the few in modern football that it has done at a high level as a college coach and as a pro coach would still be there, 72 years old, chewing the fuck out of his gum, running up and down the sidelines, celebrating. The guy moves great. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but Pete Carroll, he hears with his face. Have you ever notice that about Pete Carroll? Like he legitimately can't hear you unless he's squinting. Like that's his way of opening his ears is like doing this. Uh, He's my number one coach to watch on the sideline. I am wildly entertained by this guy, right down to the fact that late in the game he calls one of the worst timeouts I have ever seen. You know, I tweeted about it. A lot of Seahawks fans came back like it was a dunk. What now? I'm like, it's still one of the worst timeouts I've ever seen. Not only did you not need the timeout, uh, and it's like he doesn't care about him at all, but as soon as they call the timeout, they're like, I think his knee's down. Then they go to review and they come out of commercial and they've got like some like elevator music playing over the the official reading the results of the review and it was hilarious
2: challenging the ruling on the play that the quarterback was down by contact before he threw the ball after review the runner was down by contact before releasing the pass the ball would be placed at that spot it's fourth down.
3: That call, first of all, sounds better with the music under it. But it's an expedited <laughs> review. This is a successful challenge. Is what challenge I assume you were about to tell us, John. Uh, This guy that's been on death door a few times as far as his future in Seattle. Like people have been like, we need more modern football. We need this guy out. The whole thing. Yeah, he's not the best game manager coach anymore. Yeah, he kind of plays like Stone Age football. Sometimes he makes some decisions that some of the the analytics crowd gets all hot and bothered about. But the one thing he does for this team that you can't measure and whoever takes his place, whenever he stops coaching at 90 years old or whatever it is, he breathes a sense of belief into this team that I just haven't seen with too many other organizations in spots like this. And especially at home, that is a special place. You know, I talked about going up there a lot when I was younger, I got an admission to make. I was jealous. I mean, I was really jealous. There were times where I was like, man, You know, if it could have been here, I love the city I played in, but you know, the organization in Seattle is incredible. And that experience playing at now Lumen Field, it was Quest Field. It's it's a gorgeous place. It's so loud. I think they're cheating sometimes. It's so loud. I think they're pumping noise into that place sometimes. Do you realize that if you watch the all 22 of that game last night and you watch that catch and he makes that catch, when JSN catches that ball in the end zone, the fucking camera is shaking. It's like there was an earthquake. I mean, beast mode during the beast quake that registered on you know the seismic deal they got over there somewhere in California, the uh, the oh shit bar, like it registered on the you know there was seismic activity because of that play. Only in Seattle, you think about all the things that have happened on that field that have gone their way. I used to call it them having a horseshoe up their ass. I think it's Pete Carroll, and I think it's that place. I just, I just do. It's a special place. I got to tip my cap to him. That camera shaking, as bad as that was last night, watching in real time, I got chills because that's football and it's playoff football. And so, if you're the Eagles, lick your wounds, get back to Philly. Worst flight couldn't be a worse flight. You know, we gave out worst flight on on Monday. Could not be a worse flight than flying back from Seattle to the East Coast after a night game that you lost on the last play. Uh, Well, not the last play. You had 30 seconds and uh, one shot at midfield. Uh, But get home. Somebody talk some sense into these guys where it's like, hey, dude, we didn't just leave our funeral. There's three games left, and when they play the Giants this week, they need to take it out on these fucking guys, and they need to play with some emotion. Fuck. That was tough, but... They're not dead, you know, and there's a lot to be thankful for. So enjoy Steve Spagnuolo. Um, I'm thankful to have him on the show. Uh, we'll be back on, what are we doing, Cowboy? Uh, I said, what no, are we- Thursday for Thursday. Thursday, so we're gonna be, at, our, our preview show is a day earlier this week. I'm gonna go on vacation. Um, with with my kids uh, and and my wife of course, my lovely wife, for a couple of days and try to get away. So we are going to record that Thursday preview show tomorrow. Um, Check that out uh, after spags, stick around for Steve. We're gonna talk a little bit about the playoff race. You shouldn't have to worry when you buy tickets to your next big event. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you with killer last minute deals all in prices views from your seat and their best price guarantee game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets game time makes it easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area even last minute deals i know because i always wait till the last minute you can preview the views from all your seats in the venue and game time's lowest price guarantee event cancellation protection job loss protection Protects my tickets, that's what I need. Game Time is obsessed with finding ways to help you save money on tickets. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event, and even an hour after it starts. It's the place to find last minute seats. Find exclusive flash deals and sponsored deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. With zone deals, You pick the section and GameTime picks the seats for big time savings. And the GameTime guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with GameTime, download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code GREENLIGHT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code GREENLIGHT. G-R-E-E-N-L-I-G-H-T. That's the code for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. I've been standing on the table about the Kansas City Chiefs, and I think it's the quarterback, and I think it's that defense that gives them a chance every week, and the defensive coordinator is none other than my old ball coach, Steve Spagnuolo. Coach Bags, what's the word? How you doing?
0: All oh, great, Chris. Love, love being around you. I'm, I'm glad to get a chance to visit. We don't get to do this too often.
3: I know it's cool. It's cool. I yeah. appreciate you taking the time. It I I I'd probably make you smile with this right off the bat, but uh, this week Christmas, you're going to be working on Christmas, which is nothing new, right? Yeah. Uh, but you're you're coaching against one of your old players, and uh, you've already seen yeah. AP this year. Uh, I thought I thought you know I thought they've done a great job there, and you can tell he really the players believe in him and the whole thing. You've been an interim head coach. Mm-hmm. How hard is that, and what are the keys? And how impressed are you with your guy?
0: Well, I, t- I will tell you this, Chris. It's not an easy thing to fall into. I mean, I mean listen, we're all. Love getting head coaching opportunities. But in the middle of the season where you haven't had a chance to kind <clears> of <throat> lay your foundation, get your culture right, it is really tough. But I, w- I will say this, Chris, and I don't know if you know Antonio very well at all, but he's bit. done a terrific job. And quite honestly, I would have expected nothing less. Uh, he's mm-hmm. that kind of guy. I told his dad uh, about two, three years ago, I think maybe when he went to uh, the Raiders the first time. I said, we tried to get him here in Kansas City. Really? We begged for him to come to coach for us when we first got here, and then he stayed at Arizona State. But I thought in five years, once he got in the league, he'd eventually be a head coach. It happened a little bit sooner than I thought. But I'm proud of him, Chris, like I, I am all you guys that have uh, I've had the pleasure of working with. And I told him I would root for him for two games, all but two games. <laughs> all and but two games. We played yeah. one already, and the next <laughs> one's coming up. I'm not rooting yeah. for him on this one.
3: Yeah, no question. I mean – it's got to be great to see him, and I wonder, you know, like with your experience, what is the biggest challenge like that people yeah. don't see when you have to take a job like that in the middle of the season?
0: You know, when you – listen, when you when you take over, everybody initially wants to know – is looking for – to do things your way. How do you want it done? So I remember when we went through it in New York, and actually Antonio was with me when I took over as interim head coach of the New York Giants in 2017, and I remember – he was very helpful, to be honest with you, Chris, in kind of a connection with the players. But one of the things we strive for was to be, was for clarity and simplicity. I mean, you had to be clear in who was in charge and who was running this and who was running that. And I talked with Antonio a little bit when he took over and that's probably the biggest challenge. Make sure you get everybody on the same page, make it clear and concise, try to get everybody headed in the same direction. I think he's done a great job of that. And he, he brings the extra flavor, Chris, like you would bring. He's played the game you know, he knows the game, he can relate to the players. And
3: I think you're seeing that on the field. No question. I got to have a couple beers with him at Super Bowl when I was actually on the ramp. It might not vacation. have been a couple though. If it, it was, was, maybe, Antonio, it was <laughs> a few more than a couple. But but that night I, I was totally sold on the guy it was me, yeah. Freddie, Justin Tuck and Antonio Pierce. And those guys, as you know, are amazing. Yes. I would have loved to have all of them as my vets. But, um, you know, like, This is a team, uh, you talk about your Giants team, that had to go win some games on the road. Now, I know you guys are trying to close this season out and play at home and win one game at a time and all that stuff. But the challenges of possibly doing that, you you know those challenges. And for a defense, how do you explain to a group that maybe hasn't been on the road, if you have to go there, what does it take to take over a stadium in January?
0: Well, I mean, it, we kind of – we faced – I know we played the Patriots this week, and everybody think, thinks they're down right now. But when you they're go into good. New England to play the Patriots, they're always tough. You know you played there. Um, and one of the things we stressed in this particular game, I know you're asking about on the road in the playoffs, but every game right now to us is a playoff it's game. We can't afford to give one. I mean, the margin for error is like that. And one of the things I did say say at halftime, Chris, in this particular game was, listen, don't expect anything to be easy. Yeah. It doesn't matter who you play in this league, and we got if we if we want to get to where we want to go, um, we better start ramping it up and recognize that and treat every game as if it is a playoff game. Um, we have really good veteran leadership here, Chris, and we have guys that are on defense specifically that are into football, they're passionate about it, they prepare really really well. I got I, listen, I got a great group of guys that prepare really well, and. When they take that into the game, I think that's what gives you an edge, whether you're home or away. Yeah, we're fortunate here in the next couple of weeks we will be here at Arrowhead. uh, But somewhere along the way here, we're going away to play our last game. And who knows, we might have to do it in the playoffs. But I think the veteran leadership is what's got to step up in those particular situations.
3: And your role players have been great. And I don't even like using that word because, you know, it can sound like you're diminishing their role. But but like a guy like Mike Dana, Mm -hmm. I I think he's – really important to you guys. I mean, for example, a Mike Dana, what does somebody like that do for a defense? And We're not talking about the quote unquote stars, but guys like that.
0: Yeah. Um, you hit one of the best ones. If you had asked me to list those kind of guys, Chris, that would have been the first one I brought up. Mike is, we rely so much on Mike. He plays inside. He plays outside. He's so reliable. Um, we put a defense in. We know one guy that's going to know it. Inside and out, it's going to do exactly what you asked for. It's going to be Mike Dana. But we have other guys like that. Leo Chanel is a linebacker for us. He plays, you know, we'll put him at defensive end. We'll put him on the edge. We'll play inside at linebacker and stack. Drew Tranquil has been a a godsend.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you followed us, Chris, when Nick got banged up to have Drew Tranquil to go in there and do what he did at Mike Linebacker was huge. But you're going to need, uh, you need your stars to, to show up in those games. You've been in a lot of playoff games, Chris, you know that. Uh, and then you need what you're calling these foundational players to play solid like you know they can play and even up their game a little bit more. I mean, all 11, uh, we, all get, we always talk about chemistry and being on the same page to make this thing click. And when we're doing that and everybody's owning their role, uh, we can play pretty good defense.
3: You know, Chris is so important, obviously, to your defense. And, and I know, like, you know, he's not 15 sacks this year, but he had 13 pressures Sunday. And yeah. if you watch the tape, you know how important Chris Jones is. But, you know, the contract situation is water under the bridge. It's so good he's there. But, you know, for 10 days or a month, are you – do you have two plans for how you want to run your defense? You know what I mean?
2: <laughs> you mean
3: going forward? Yeah, if he wasn't yeah. gonna be with you guys this year, which I thought was not gonna happen, I thought he yeah. was gonna be back in the building. But is there any part of you that's like, hey, we gotta we there's two ways we gotta go with the way I call this defense?
0: Well, there was when, when we didn't have him in that first game. Um but what what he brings, Chris, and you're right about he may not have the stats that he had last year, but when you I'm sure you watch the tape and see how much attention is paid to him. And that has opened up things for other guys. You bring up Mike and George, and you know Charles when he's in there. And so when you have a player like that, and he demands attention, whether it's two or three guys that they commit to him, or the centers always going to turn that way. That helps us in things that we can do to to try to expose the protection. And you know where he makes us a he makes us a better defense because just like you noted, because of the pressures he gets, it may not finish off in a stat with a sack, but uh, people certainly recognize when he's there, and hopefully that can open up some things for some other guys.
3: Yeah, he's like that tight end you got on offense. Even when Kelsey's <laughs> yeah. not making plays, he's making yeah. plays. You know, that first right. shot the other day, they got two flat defenders, basically. Uh, yeah. And I think it has a lot to do with Travis. So, yeah, right and Chris, that. that happens for Chris, too. So I, yeah. one, one thing that I think is really interesting to me on a macro level with defenses in the NFL right now and offenses is, you know, you guys had a big red zone stand early in that game. Where, you know, it's a short field, it's a it's a ball game, and you guys you guys force them to kick, I believe. And and in that situation, you know, I know you pride yourself on situational football, but when you look across the league, offenses are having a hard time in red zone this year. Mm. And I kinda wonder what you attribute that to. Uh having nothing to do with your team, but just general football trends, is it the the lack of quarterbacks that are healthy or is it the fact that people aren't paying as much attention to it?
0: You know, you bring up a good point. I, I one I did not realize that it had been a struggle for our offense because I'll, because I'll be honest with you, Chris. We haven't played particularly well in the red zone, yeah. defensively, which is kind of a thorn in our side. And you know, you, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the one that we stopped because all Cause that one was great. I, All I yeah. can think about is the one that we didn't, Chris, because they had another turnover and they ended up <laughs> scoring on it. But I, I don't know that I got an an, a good answer for you on why the trend might be that way. But you know, as you know in this league, the one thing about whether it's offense or defensive, if, if offense has got something that's clicking in a particular year in the red zone, defensive coaches, players, figure it out at some point right. and get caught up. Then that might be what's happening there. And then, you know, there'll be a cycle here where the offenses will come up with something else and they'll be more effective in the red zone. But I, wish, I sure wish – I don't know what the rest of the league is doing. I sure wish we played red zone a little bit better. And if we're going to try to do what we want to do going down the stretch here – Uh, that's one of the places we got to get better defensively
3: so and maybe i know some of this stuff but if you're looking for guys that that you need to play well in the red zone what do you look for in a red zone defense what are the things that a red zone defense does great i know the space is constricted but for me a grunt up front who i just knew don't run past the quarterback or i'm gonna get yelled at it's a lot more complicated for everybody behind me so what is the right profile for a good red zone player and why is it so different than the field
0: yeah, well, like you said, that the whole thing's constricted. It, to me, it does begin, you can't, first of all, can't allow our offense to run the football. So right. we begin there. Now, when you commit to taking that away, I think the pressure now goes outside to the corners on whoever they're covering. Yeah. And so that's why you see, you're going to see teams that, if you have real confidence in those corners, you're probably going to be in more of a single high shell, man-free, 3D defense. If you don't feel comfortable about them, you're probably going to be in more quarters and too high. Now that weakens your run front a little bit. So it's always the game, I think for us, at least from my standpoint, um, what do you want to defend on this particular down, the run or the pass? Do you want to be in quarters and be a little bit weaker in the run and try to... Hit it with guys playing two gap, um, or do you want to commit, a, you know, commit to an eight man front and then put a little bit of pressure on the corners? And you know, we have a little bit of both, and, and we we determine what we're going to do, Chris, based on who we're playing and what the threats are. Uh, but you, you face these teams with really good wide outs that can go up and catch the ball, and a running back and an offensive line they can run it. That can be challenging. That's where people, I think, are really tough to defend.
3: You mentioned corners. You have two really, really, really good corners. Yeah. And one of them I think is probably, and you probably agree with me, the most, one of the most underrated guys in the league in, in Sneed. I, Absolutely. I, I think the, the wherewithal and the mentality to line up and especially as aggressive as you are, <laughs> to, to, to yeah, match up with, you. yeah, you put pressure yeah. on this guy, but he steps yeah. up every week and you know, Always. he's got their best guy and you know, he hadn't been to a pro bowl. I don't know if he goes this year, doesn't matter. I think he's up there, and you know what can you say about him and that mentality every week of of guarding their best guy. Well, he,
0: he's a Pro Bowl player to me, Chris. Yeah. Um, and if there's others that are out there that are better than him, I I'd have to see it. I mean, you know, I'm not studying defenses this time of the year. Yeah. Do that in the off season, but we we think the world of L.J. I mean, when you take when when you take a guy and put him on the best receiver every week, that tells you how we feel about him. Yeah. Um, and I think if you go back, I don't, I don't, uh, through these stats, but I know that, you know, most of the time we've played an elite receiver, he's kind of kept them in check. Um, yeah. And that helps us defensively. We There isn't anything he can't do, Chris. I mean, he could be playing nickel and be blitzing every down and be making plays that way, but he's on the outside now because of the some of the wide receivers that we see, and we commit him to helping us take that guy away. He, I'll tell you what, Chris, the other thing, you know, you don't see a lot of corners in this league that cover like LJ and play the run and tackle like he does. He had some outstanding tackles uh, this past weekend up in New England. I mean he had seven I think seven solos and two assisted tackles and so he didn't have an interception and whatnot but to me those things go unrecognized and you need guys like that to play good defense.
3: Us D linemen see it I'm like man it'd be nice to have a run force guy like that uh, behind you but when it comes to McDuffie you send this guy more than anybody in the league now and there's a skill I know that it's not just hey run towards the quarterback Uh, you know you guys disguise and the whole thing but I think as a you know, re- as it relates to a corner, becoming a pass rusher, that's not something that happens on accident. And I know you guys probably work things to prepare for these these situations. How do you get a corner to become a pass rusher in those situations?
0: Yeah, that begins all the way back in training camp, Chris, to be honest with you. There are a lot of individual periods where I – you know, I because I don't have an individual group, but I do like taking – DBs working on pass rush blitz technique um, you know handling, coming off an edge and taking care of a boot or going down the line of scrimmage the heel line and, and tackling it for a running play for a loss but Trent really embraced uh, that particular position look at we wouldn't would not have been able to move LJ outside right had we not had a guy that we felt comfortable inside because the nickel is really important in today's football you know that you see it yeah. all these three wide out uh, offensive um skill guys that they put out there and in Trent is one of those guys he can cover He's another guy that will support on the run, and because he does have a burst and can accelerate, he's a real good blitzer for us. I love bringing him. He loves coming. You know these guys. Yeah, I can tell you. Know every yeah. D lineman wants to be able to cover man to man, and every DB wants to be able to rush the passer. Right? Hey,
3: I don't know if you remember this about me. I was like, hey, no fire zones for me. I don't like being out there. So maybe I'm your, I'm your. You wanted to go forward. Right? I want to go
0: forward. You wanted to
2: go
3: forward. You uh, wanted to go. Spags, um, you know. You've faced Josh Allen. You've spoken highly Mm -hmm. of Joe Burrow before, and I agree with you. He is the closest thing to Tom Brady that I'd seen. I agree. As a young player until I saw C.J. Stroud, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, He's pretty good. I have seen him this year. Is that right? Yeah, I hear a lot. He's pretty damn. He's got that, like, you know, he's got the pocket awareness, keeps his eyes downfield, every movement's efficient. You know, all the reasons that I'm sure you think Joe – Is like Tom, but would you? I've heard you say because you face Tom and you're one of the only guys that have been 500 against Tom. That's a hell of an accomplishment. You don't want him reading your mail. So there's that pre snap conversation in your building leading up to the game. But then there's the Josh Allen where it's like, you know, when we get there and I save my best call for the third quarter and he just obliterates my free runner. Like who would you rather see—the guy that can pick you apart or the guy that can ruin it all in one play?
0: <laughs> Neither. He, I tell you what—he's he, Houdini, Chris.
3: He's amazing. I,
0: I told him that after the game. I mean, we threw everything but the kitchen sink, and actually got—you saw—we got the free runners, but he finds a way. He's strong. He's—he's he's the ultimate competitor. Yeah. Uh, and he just—it's never say die. He's all the way over on the sideline there, and he gets that—that that pass off. But
3: it was insane. I mean,
0: He's tough. Uh listen, I whether it's cerebral and, you know, sit in the pocket like Tom did yeah. and able to get it out or, or extend it down like Josh does, they both of those guys in their own way make it really, really difficult and uh they both of really, uh, listen, we I love going against them because it's, we all like to compete, it's a Challenge right? uh yeah. but thank god tom's gone we gonna have to deal with him get anymore. him out of here uh, he yeah, ruined but, all the
3: rules for defensive players now he, he's he gone sure did. He and, sure did. and we got to deal with the yellow flags so yeah no, uh, we'll blame him on him right yeah with nick bolton man i knew when he was out that was going to be a big thing i think he's yeah. another guy who's super underrated and like the heartbeat when i look at him and willie inside uh what was the thing you learned about y'all's selves in his absence and when he came back what was the thing that you were like ah oh, It's nice to have Nick Bolton on the field.
0: Well, the one thing we found out with Nick gone was how good Drew was. Yeah, Um, he played really well. I I really felt like, Chris, uh, if I look back at the six or seven games that we lost, Nick, we really didn't scale anything back. Um, You know, And you know we're very multiple, and Mm -hmm. we put a lot on our guys from the standpoint of intelligence. And Drew, he just ran with it, man. And he was new new to the system this year. It wasn't like he's been in it for the past few years. So I I credit him. With keeping that part of it together, getting Nick back just feels so much more. Cause he's just so natural uh, with the guys and connecting all the docs, connects the front with the secondary and the whole linebacker crew. And he he's just he's just a, he's one of those leaders that's got great instincts for the game. He'll he'll be over on the sideline, Chris, in between series, saying he's doing this. I think we should do that. And and I, listen, I'll roll with whatever he wants to do because he's got a really really good feel for the game.
3: You got to really right. trust you're, that you're guy. You right,
0: he's very underrated myself, Yeah, my opinion.
3: That's awesome. And and you know, you bring up something with adjustments that I've been dying to ask you, it has nothing to do with this year, nothing to do with an opponent, but it's it's an older question. I've always wondered, what goes on at halftime for you coaches? Is it like a fire drill where you're like, you know, you've been making the adjustments the whole first yeah. half? But an example of that would be, you got to tell me what you did, in, you know, when you played Houston a couple years ago because they're going nuts. Yeah. yeah, They're going nuts. And and then the second half, you guys come out and blank them. So in general, what are you doing? What did you do in that game since it's all water under the bridge?
0: Yeah. It's been a while. I, I don't know that I can remember exactly what we did. I will tell you this, Chris, that it, like you said, it's ongoing all the time, even though people think it's halftime adjustments. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, it might get to the end of the, or the middle of the second quarter. And I, I know we've done this a lot. We'll be on the headset saying, I'll be saying to, in this case, it's Donald who works for us as an uh, an assistant. Donald, write this down. We need to convey that to the guys at halftime or, hey, circle this call. I'm going to want to use that in the third quarter. Um, I always have somebody let me know at halftime, Chris, which blitzes blitzes we have not run. Mm -hmm. In other words, which ones have they not seen? Which ones did we already show them? So there's always that kind of chess piece going on and, Listen, one of the things about any kind of halftime adjustment is really how the players will embrace and receive whatever you're telling them. And it could be as simple as, hey, look, guys, I mean, you played in New England, Chris. How many times did Coach Belichick walk in there and say, hey, guys, just do your job?
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't get reached. I mean, it's something simple. It doesn't have to be some rocket science.
0: Exactly. Sometimes it's not a rocket scientist adjustment. It's just everybody deciding, Okay, look, it didn't. As players, we didn't do it the way we were supposed to in the first half. Let's all do it the way we worked on it all week long. And then lo and behold, it, it works out a lot. We better. had the right
3: game plan all along. We just had to execute. You just had to execute. You little know? Bit. And yeah. that,
0: sometimes it's just as simple as that, Chris. You know it as a player. And I think every, every coach knows that, too. So, uh, yeah. But every once in a while, we get a good idea and we'll go in and throw something in at halftime. And if the players execute and it works out, we all feel like, you know, we did something really good.
3: Last question for you, Spags. Uh You get a really special opportunity. I can tell you take it seriously going to New England. And with everything swirling around Bill, I'm not right. going to read the tea leaves because I, I don't care. It's just like it's special to get the coach opposite Bill. And especially when you know he's his best because he's like, I want to take Travis Kelsey away. I want to beat Patrick right. Mahomes. It's me and Andy who I respect, but we're two of the greatest. How cool is it? To coach against Bill and what made him so great and what makes him so great, you know, from a defensive mind standpoint.
0: Yeah, listen, it was double special for me, Chris. Look, I grew up a Patriots fan. I mean, I, <laughs> I grew up in that area and when they didn't win. yeah. And then, you know, I get in the NFL and they start to win because Coach Belichick gets there. And now I find myself in Super Bowls against them. So it was, I know. It was kind of flipped. But I think we'll all be – You know, years from now, we'll all be talking and bragging about how fortunate we were to have coached against and during the time of Bill Belichick. Um, He's legendary, in my opinion, not only as a head coach and leader, but defensively of what he does in taking away what the offense does best. We all know that he's he's, you know, made a career in, in stopping people by taking away their best players uh, and then trying to put, and put together a defense that defends people all, week in and week out, year in and year out, always yeah. really good. You know, Chris, he's. I, I've, I think Jim Johnson and, and Coach Belichick, both, we learned this from I mean, I'm always talking about stopping the run, but, you know, if, if, you, if you really study them, it's more about – defending the pass in this league and if some stats get out of there run wise nobody panics about it because when it's all said and done it's about points allowed it's not about total yardage or- yeah. and I think coach belichick understands that and he he plays the situational game better than anybody yeah um, as a head coach and as a coordinator and I got the utmost respect for him and i, I I'm, I'm really happy in f- that you had the opportunity chris to to play cool. for
3: yeah. It was cool. But he does. He, he'll let you think as a coordinator that you're doing something where he's letting you do exactly what he wants to let you do. Yeah. You know, whether it's the run game or feeding some, some right. guy that's got 10 targets. It's like, fine, I just yeah. don't want the other guy to beat me. So. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but it was a special year, man, and I've had some great coaches, one of them, Coach Bags, and oh, thanks, uh, I just uh, appreciate the time. I know you're in the middle of a big run. I'm rooting for you guys.
0: I appreciate it, Chris. Always great to talk to you. And make sure you tell the whole family I was asking for him. I uh, appreciate yeah. all the work you did for us when we were together. I
3: really do. Thanks, man. You too. Okay.
0: See you, buddy. I to
3: you. Hey, tell Flage I said what's up.
0: I will. You still got the tattoo? Oh, yeah, man. Hold on. <laughs> you Have you seen it before? You seen I, oh, yeah. The Flage is good. I love it. I, I talk the, about that. I talk Where's about the, it all the time. Oh,
2: Flage
3: is on the other side. On the
0: other side. I forget
3: the, where Flage is. this there is
0: monkey. <laughs> so, yeah, I, you get to – that's an all-time great story, Chris. I yeah. love that. When
3: the fucking guy walked up to my wife at training camp, Spag, and he goes, uh, he goes, it's nice to finally meet you. And she goes, I wake up next to you every morning. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> That's an all-time great story. Yeah. I'm going to go yeah, tell right. him right now, buddy. Tell him I said hi, all right? I'll see
2: you. Great to see you. All love right, you, Coach. man.
3: This podcast is brought to you by Cash App, the all-in-one app for spending, sending, and setting easy-to-track savings goals. With multiple tools for saving, spending, and sending, Cash App is an all-in-one way to stay in control of your money. Whether I need to send money to my pumpkin grower, pay for anything related to floating the river, quickly pay back a buddy for a night out on the town, or settle a bet, I can always count on Cash App. With security, boosts, discounts, a free-to-order debit card, no overdraft fees, Cash App is like a BFF for your money. It can be your read. Read's my BFF in the studio. Cash App, the exclusive financial services partner of Greenlight. Downloaded in the App Store or Google Play to see why it's the number one finance finance app in the U.S. App Store. There's no "I" in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract interview and hire all in one place one of the things i love about indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because we get you one step closer to the hire by immediately matching you with quality candidates indeed does the hard work for you indeed shows you candidates whose resumes on indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster even better indeed the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash Wire sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash Wire sports. Just go to indeed.com slash Wire sports and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast, please. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire Sports. Terms and Conditions apply. Need to hire, you need Indeed. Steve, so do you do you like land from from Seattle at what seven in the morning?
4: Uh we left Seattle Tuesday morning at seven AM and landed at two ten Eastern.
3: Unbelievable. Yeah. He's fresh off the plane and right here for you. Dude, all right. You're the man. All right. But my question is this and I, I, I have the answer in my head, but I want to hear what you think because I did not know you had never been to that that stadium huh. is is it the toughest uh, home field advantage in football?
4: Yes, because those fans don't care about any circumstances, whether it's the weather uh, there, there's a lot of things here, Chris. Uh, that I'd love to get your take because being on the being on the sidelines. First off, I'm going out there because I've only known Husky Stadium, and playing in that, and then being at games at that. It's you know everybody knows the picturesque view and the tailgate, but the loudness of that deal is something that you know just. It drove me crazy uh, playing there because it never stopped. And I think Husky Stadium is different because it starts, when you play UW, you stay in like Bellevue, and there's this one bridge from Bellevue over to Seattle, and it's super low on the water. And as you're driving over, you get police escort, they clear the, the bridge, and you're, go- you're just going. The bus is going, and all that is in your view is freaking Husky Stadium. And it's up on a perch off the water, off the boathouse. So you're looking at this thing, and you're like, "How freaking big is this?" Because you're again, you're low on the water, and yeah. you obviously all you heard about was the noise, and you practice with noise, and good god, that thing lives up to the hype every time. Lumen, I'm texting all my Seattle guys. Got a bunch of guys that live up there. Played ball with guys that live up there. I'm like, "All right, what's better?" And they're like, "They're both great." I'm like, "No, I was like, mm-hmm. you gotta, something's got to be better." Pop out. And this, the, the, I have a group that, uh, the guys that went to UW say Husky stadium, the fans said Lumen, And I said, all right, I get to see for, see for myself and being in there, it's raining pregame. You know, Scott starts his, his show at three o'clock, uh, local time and teams are starting to come out and you start getting this feel, you know, it's right in downtown. Uh, you know, people love that They could, they could walk there, uh, uh the, the travel situation, I mean, in Seattle, you take ferries to the games. That, right. That's how many people are on islands right. and stuff. So I think the idea, I was thinking about this, the idea of losing the Sonics and the Anks there and then with the rise of the Seahawks, there is a serious, serious passion there. With their fans. And they, you know, they played, your dad played in the kingdom, and I'm sure he has stories about that, good and bad. But Lumen Field, man, because those fans do not care about if it's going to rain, if it's going to be cold, who are we playing, what's our record, all that is factored in there. And Scott and I were talking on the sidelines last night. He said, you know, when when Smith and Jigma catches that ball, it's a shock. It's, a, it's an absolute shock. Like, holy shit, they did it. But then, when they confirm the interception, that's when I thought it was loudest because it's oh shit, we won! Like mm-hmm. this, this is game, yeah. you know. And it, it, it was just really, really cool. And for us, Scott and I, being being the show that we do in D.C., you know, most of the time midnight Eastern, it's only nine o'clock out west. So our uh-huh. our, our our so many of our fans and watchers and, and viewers. Are out there, and they were just ecstatic uh, to have, have Scott out there doing the show with the guys. Uh, it, it was really, really cool, and it lived up uh, to anything. It was Scott's first time in Seattle, um, so it, it, like it was period? awesome. Yeah, uh, he said he did a, t- a tournament with Tiger way back, but yeah, yeah he's never he had never been to an event there or spent any time there. And I did the mat- We were there nineteen hours, and it was. It was freaking awesome, and uh, it's a tribute to those people in that fan base.
3: I talked about this uh, in the open a little bit, but like when I played in in St. Louis and we went up there early, maybe my first year, I mean, we went up every year, and it was such an eye-opening experience to me because it was my first – experience on the road early in that year and being like, Oh, this is what the NFL's like. Yeah. Because in St. Louis, I mean, you know, it was, we were a bad team and um, yep. Edward Jones dome, admittedly, even if you're a, a Rams fan from that era, it just doesn't measure up Mm-mm. to what they have there. I mean, like from the, the high shot of the stadium to the cityscape to, I mean, it's one of the most gorgeous stadiums and the fans are insane Yes. And they love their players and it's perpetually raining there. Uh I think every year but my first year, we played their New Year's, and they always put us like seven, you know, week seventeen, and it was always with the playoffs on the line. I've told these stories about, you know, the Beast Quake game that was preceded by us losing to Seattle mm-hmm. and Charlie Whitehurst. And you know, where else does yeah. this kind of magic happen? You know, uh Drew Locke to JSN. It's like there's something you think think back to all the things that have happened in that stadium. Beastquake, mm-hmm. that play, oh. so many in between you talk about and that Phil didn't happen. Mary, Aaron
4: Rodgers blowing a lead. Aaron like Rodgers blowing the lead, the onside
3: kick. It it felt like when I played I was so jealous of them because they had this horseshoe up their ass but they were really good. It was like yeah. things fell their way all the time in that stadium. But when I went up there I was jealous. I mean, like, of the football situation that they have in that city. And I've been watching Pete Carroll chewing gum up and down that sideline my entire career, and at every turn, as bad as the timeouts were last night, I mean, it was one of the worst timeouts I've ever seen called. You weren't watching the broadcast, but when he called that timeout and then Nick was able to actually review the play, they come back out of commercial and they're playing like, high energy jazz mm-hmm. somehow over it was like intro music and it stayed on during the reading of the overturned call. And it was like this is the worst timeout that was ever called. <laughs> and 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 so many of Pete's decisions are questionable, but he mm-hmm. gets these guys to believe, which is an immeasurable thing. And especially in that stadium.
4: That's exactly uh the conversation Scott and I had on the flight home was to see it forever, because I, I knew people that that were in and around New England when he was there, and there was a lot of positivity. Like, they loved him, and, you know, it's just a tough place. And then, you know, you factor in all that happened, whatever, he's done there. But there's people that, you know, thought his thing would work better in college, and you saw what he did at SC. Yeah, uh, The best of the best. I mean, Reggie Bush, is the, the, that era is the most, you know, want-to-watch uh, team in my lifetime. Um and then the question is, can he do it at the pro level? He didn't he succeed. He didn't get a fair shake in New England. But the idea, and Chris, you're in that locker room, and the idea, and and they're on the cusp, right? Were they yeah. seven and seven now? And it yeah. feels like they're always there. Last year, awesome year. You know, no expectations. Gino, year of his life, and that's that's the Pete Carroll thing. But to extend that. And have guys that are, you know, people want to talk about the money they're making, whatever they whatever you want. They're professionals. But to be able to constantly motivate them to just stay in the fight. Mm-hmm. Stay in the fight. Just keep next play. I know it's all the cliches, but there's something in there that's built uh you know, from him that his teams are, are, are gonna be there. And, you know, he's had horrible I mean that that Super Bowl loss is an all timer. Mm-hmm. all-timer, and, and to to get turn over the roster, the decision with Russ, all that, and still be there, I just think speaks the world to him, and I'm so bummed. He had to walk Did you see the picture of him on the field after everything? Mm-hmm. He walked on, out on the field. It's after we went off the air. We went off the air at 945 local. And then Scott and I get back to the hotel, and somebody had a picture of Pete. He's on the field. He's got his hat backwards, his air monarchs on. And mm-hmm. he's just like – he didn't want to leave the stadium. I'm like, if he ever walked out in the last minute we were going off the air, Scott and him would have talked on the air. We would have extended our show. He, they would have talked 20 minutes easily yeah. because yeah. of what he is. Scott's first time – like, I was just going through the questions. It would have been It would have been incredible. But, yeah, it's, it, it's a really cool um, – uh, reflection of him with his teams and then like uh saw your boy Michael Bennett there last night You saw Mike what was yeah, he,
3: was he was on the sideline
4: He was decked out that, all of them Cliff uh mm, I think A-hole, they had some yeah. kind of reunion uh there was Cliff was there uh, all the all the um all the guys. Sherm was there uh so they were I mean and then Pete brings those guys out during pregame like they're they're hooting and hollering, you know. They, their pregame routine—they're out in the field with those guys, mm-hmm. and it's—it's—it's it's, it's cool. It's like—it's like a college feel almost. That those guys, so many of those guys, come back, and it—it yeah. um, it was just really. It, it like I said, lived up to everything. There's not a lot of things that we get to, especially doing this Monday night gig. We've had an unbelievable run of underdogs winning, and the games have been tremendous. Like every time we're out there, two minute warning. Scott does his thing. The game's on the line. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just been, been incredible, and uh, it's, it's a tribute to Pete and those guys. I mean, those guys lining up, and, you know, they had to have a little excitement, that game getting flexed, and you got the Eagles coming in, you got everything you want. And uh, they pulled it out, man. It's a, it's a huge credit to them.
3: Incredible place. I got to admit that, you know, Wayland stayed up till the end of the game, Whoa. and I talked about that. But, like, you know, just being able to point out to him, hey, that same fan, in the, you know, to the left of the, the visitor tunnel. He's been there the entire time. Like, yep. I know that guy. I talk to him every year. And that's what's so funny about being in the NFL is, like, you go places to play and you meet people at those stadiums that are constants, and some of the stadiums have fans that are predictably right where they're going to be, mm-hmm. and they're super fans, and they they rib you. But I can remember walking out of the tunnel my last game and dapping that guy up and being like, hey, it's been fun. Um, little moments like that up there, you know, you can't trade them. Even though we we lost seven in a row up yeah. there, I loved playing there and I loved the city.
4: No, it, and you know, really cool now with the with the NFL games, your preferred season ticket holders. I I never asked them, but they're they they gate off like the corners of the field, yeah. so the fans can come down during pregame and. You know the first night we're there, Jets, Aaron Rodgers, it's mobbed. Like there's no standing room at all. Uh, the Giants did, did a good job with theirs. We go to the Chargers game, no one even wants to go down there. It's just yeah. amazing. And last night, it's pouring rain before the game, and those people are out they there. They don't care. No, and, oh, and, and the fans, and and it really hit me finally. And that's that's the advantage. That is because think about. I mean, you you're going to play in Seattle. Oh, what's the weather? Just expect oh. rain. It's going to be miserable. And, then, and actually, Michael Bennett, said, he's looking up at the sky. I'm talking to him. He's like, man, this is perfect. Right. This is perfect conditions. He's like, mm-hmm. slippery. They can't hold me. Mm-hmm. And he's just going through all the advantages. And I'm like, man, it's real. It, it really and, is. And,
3: and I will say this. I mean, I've, I've, I played at Arrowhead. I played in New Orleans. I think those two places are really loud. I think there are great NFL stadiums uh, that I'm not even going to name. But that place. Mm-hmm. When it comes to being on the road, the noise level, the acoustics of that stadium, yeah. uh, it's second to none, and they are crazy. So, shout out to the Seahawks fans. Even though this is kind of an Eagles podcast, you guys um, really earned that one. I
4: was just going to say one quick thing. I was at Eagles Chiefs this year at Arrowhead. Yeah. I was at Eagles Seattle last night. The Eagles fans are there, man. They're there They everywhere. are everywhere. They're everywhere. They, they represented big time last night, and it was... Uh, it was I will not say it was great, but it was different hearing my hearing the Eagles spelling lesson after the game and the win in Chiefs at Arrowhead and mm-hmm. not having to hear it in the whole postgame. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. That, a that gets a little old show. for not a yeah. non-Eagles fan. But shout out to them; they were they were tremendous and, and and showed out for sure. All
3: right, so the next question we brought this guy up, mm-hmm. and you framed it as Herbert or Lawrence. I mean, I'm going Herbert, but
4: yep, me too.
3: And I also, dude, I I, I gave this answer on. Kevin Clark's show yesterday, he asked me, what's the one thing that you wish fans knew that mm-hmm. they don't and they constantly miss? And I think in general it's not a it's not a cop out, but it's really it's real it really fits when you're talking about quarterbacks more than any position is context. You know, like judging these quarterbacks with context, whether it's, you know, looking at everything that Herbert's had to deal with this year. Or, hey, when you look at C.J. Stroud in the rain with a ton of guys down up front, which he's had a, all year, but now the guys outside are down, um, he looks different. And I think he's that dude. But it just goes to show you how much context affects um, you know, how you evaluate a quarterback. And you should look at Carolina the same way with Bryce. And so on and so forth. Jalen Hurts is a perfect example. I talked about this in the open. Last year, you couldn't say a bad word about him. Uh, but this year, they want to run him out of town after a game like last night. So when you think you know who a guy is, just take a beat and consider the context in which that player is playing, schematically and with the people people around him. And and so I would I would caution people writing Justin Fields off, but Trevor Lawrence, there is not when I look at that offense, there's nothing that 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 tells me he shouldn't be better. Like there's no like. Oh, they don't have enough guys outside, or the protection's terrible. I know they have injuries. Uh, ETN's a good player. You've got a good play caller who's done it on the highest level. Why isn't he better? And since he's been in the league, he's, he's kind of at the top of the league when it comes to turnovers. And I kind of, I'm i wondering, a night like the other night, where I think the, the Ravens were ripe to be beat. Now, people yeah. tell me I'm, I'm a little bit alarmist on the Ravens with Mark Andrews and Keaton Mitchell now out. But I feel like that's the perfect example of a game where another quarterback wins that game. And, and I'm not trying to be too hard on Trevor Lawrence, but I'm wondering, can you fix those things? And what would you need to see better from him? And you've watched him since Clemson. Yeah. You know, So what was the word on him coming out? Was, was this turnover stuff a concern?
4: No, no, it, it, it wasn't because they were good enough where that wasn't an issue. Or if, they, if it did happen, they overcame it. Uh, I the deal with Trevor Lawrence is from his moments at Clemson to now, I've just always wanted more. I've always wanted more. I, I think there's more in that. And there's that um, Fiesta Bowl win against Chase Young in, in, in Ohio State, one of the greatest games i ever been at. And I, I saw it. He, he said, screw it. I break, he breaks out like a 60-yard run, turns the whole game around. Uh, but when you look at this, you know, not missing a start, I love that. But when you're going to do that, give me give me some more production. And the other night, I, I just – you know, being there the night he got hurt and feeling it, like this fan base is like, all right, we're going to take the next step. That night when we were there, they were the, in the driver's seat for the one seed, and no one, I think, has had their stock lower more, in my opinion, than Trevor since that. And I know we got hurt but when he comes back and then the other night all right you're back you're ready to go you throw the ball i think it was 26 times in the first half you go yeah. up and down the field and you don't have a point yeah and it's self-inflicted wounds it's the fumble um the decision before the half to throw that out route you you, you can't i've never do seen
3: that. that i don't <laughs> know what. i don't know what that's drawn up for and I, I don't know why he wouldn't burn that ball even if it's the wrong call
4: first off it's a it's a huge pet peeve of mine the teams don't spike the ball there yeah, there you're getting two plays.
3: Yes, mathematically, you're not going to get more. Burn a play. Yeah,
4: it's first down. Yeah, you got a big play, first down. You, you 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 fought all this time. You've been down here a bunch of times all game. Get it right. Call clock the ball and get your two plays. Call call two plays if yeah. you if you have to. But just get a sense. And you know he had an erratic uh, first half. I don't think I think the fumble. He was just you know distraught after that. But the the red zone turnovers and the inefficiency in the red zone, that, that's what's really, really eye-opening. And when you look at the numbers, that's been a continuous problem. Yeah. And so I think the world of Doug, i I, I put him up with anybody as far as game planning, taking advantage of, of where your team has the advantage in quarterback play. And, I mean, you, you saw it on the other side of winning the Super Bowl, what he did with a situation like that, that this is more advantageous. Uh, than that. They got the pieces. Ridley watching him in pregame. I I don't know if there's a better route runner out there. Uh what what he brings to the table. I know they lost Kirk, but you got ETN as as a running back. The tight ends aren't great, but they still are, are uh,
3: he got hurt the other night, but you know, you have you have pieces.
4: Yeah. So I, I'm worried and I heard uh McShea tell a story on Rasillos pod last week that I thought was really, really eye opening and he talked about your elite quarterbacks and and When he would talk to GMs and personnel and coaches at the next level when these guys are coming in, you know, you're you're Andrew Luck, you're Peyton Manning, you're, you're, you're Sharp guy, you're leaders of your team. They would go through game instances, and it would be, oh, on this third and eight, I did this. On this second and long, we knew we had to get yards, we did this. And he said numerous GMs were shocked at how Trevor didn't have that detail. A recall that recall in his mind, and then when I what I took away from that is he's a half second late on a throw. He's he's not taking a proper drop all the time, and you see that now. As I heard that, I'm watching him Monday night. I'm like or Sunday night, and I'm like, there's it's 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 still very very good, but that 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 little bit, you know, is is what I see in the difference because I do not put him. In that upper tier or second tier, whatever you want to tier, quarterbacks now, uh, because of that, the, the 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 problems in the red zone, I think, are so decision based. And if it's a if it's a quarter of a second late, whatever it is, I think that's what it is. And it's it it hasn't he hasn't shown improvement on it. Well, there's you
3: know? also something kind of interesting just came to me is when I think about a great quarterback. They're not just making the right decisions. They're not just making the right throws. They're also making the people around them better. And they 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 work at that relationship through the year. Like Mahomes has not been able to quite do it with this group. That, that goes to show you how bad this group is. <laughs> but some of the same problems relative to expectation have, have popped up in Jacksonville, whether they're you know, not getting both your feet in uh, against the Chiefs in a low-scoring oh. ball game. It's third downs. It's it's option routes where guys are going the wrong way. You know, and I put some of that on Ridley for sure. No he's, doubt. Uh, he's getting paid a lot of money mm-hmm. to do this stuff. I, I put that on Kirk. I put that on these guys. But the quarterback not seeing – and, you know, part of this is Doug, sure. But yep. I know Doug can do this. Mm-hmm. So the guy I'm looking at is Trevor, and I'm saying why haven't – you and your receivers improve the report as the year has gone on. That's... A perfect example of this play uh, at the end of the game would be Calvin Ridley in the back of the end zone, just catch the ball. And these are the problems that have plagued them all year. And at that point in that game, you catch the ball, you have an outside chance of winning that game. You'd have to go, you'd have to get a stop and another score and the whole thing. Could have covered a teaser. For sure, if anybody had teasers. Anybody. If anybody did. But these are the problems that keep showing up for them, and they're not all on the receivers because the quarterback has a responsibility to get on the same page with these guys and get them on your page. And so extra credit for a quarterback is not just making throws, not just making decisions, but improving the people around you. And that hasn't happened in Jacksonville either. And you know this division, when you looked at it last year, you were like, oh, they're tanking in Houston. Tannehill's on the way out. Um, the Colts are drafting a quarterback. This is our division, yeah. you know, like, and you're sitting there watching and look at the things that have happened to the Jags. If you want to do a stock up, stock down organizationally over the last year, nobody's arrow has been pointing more drastically down than the Jaguars because, uh, and I put the Lions in this category too, as well as they've played because of what's happened around them with, with Chicago making some leaps uh, with, with the Vikings having a great head coach with Jordan Love coming on in the AFC South now. You have D'Amico Ryans, Mike Vrabel for now until he gets hired by the Patriots. Um, and and then you've got, you've got uh, Shane Steichen. And all of a sudden you look up and there's no foregone conclusion that you don't have the best coach in the division. There's no foregone conclusion, in fact, I'm sure of it, that you have the best quarterback in the division. I think that's C.J. Stroud. And these other teams are gaining ground and passing you. You could lose the division this year. And so I think it's it's an interesting conversation for Trevor, but also for this organization because teams are catching them. And they only had a lead for a second. Another thing that popped up this weekend that I didn't get a chance to talk to you about and we really didn't talk about on the show was the Kazi hit. Mm. Now, I went through because my take initially was, and I'll explain in a second, what else do you want him to do? Now, I, I go through the other four or five times that he's been disciplined this year by way of like $10,000 fines. And I went through this with Perryman, the backer for Houston when he got uh, whacked for hitting people too hard. And, you know, I look back at the Zach Moss play. I look back and I thought in those circumstances was absolutely insane that they were suspending him, even with the, the, the prior infractions. When I look at, the plays that Kazee has made this year, I see that there is a pattern. I do see that on at least two of those, I'm like, you could avoid these things. You know, like there's a play on Puka Nakua, there's a play against the Bengals where I think like, hey, keep your head up, that sort of thing. But there are different plays in this play the other day. Uh, and in fact, all these infractions that he got flagged for, I don't agree with, with with them all. I mean, there's one against the Jags where Etienne is lowering his head first. And, you know, he's got to get his level under him. And sometimes people don't understand that But on this play the other night, I kind of liken it to a guy who had like a criminal history. He got out and he's on parole and somebody tried to, you know, rob his family and he went too far. And then he's going back to jail. And I just don't think like in a vacuum, I understand with his history, but I don't think in a vacuum. If you think that that's a a malicious hit and exactly what we're trying to get out of a game, unless you're going to say to me, just let him catch the football. When I ask you the question, what does he do there? I don't know what the answer is.
4: Yeah, because when you look at the one on Pittman, he doesn't leave his feet. You know, like that, nope. that's that's always been, you know, the MO when I think about the feet. Like, all right, guy is extended. Are we also leaving our feet too? Because that's where you get, you know, the biggest collision. The collisions. true launch, yeah. Yeah. So he doesn't do that. And, yeah, like when not, what, I'm watching it. It, it's like he has to wait for him to catch the ball, and then tag him down.
3: Yes, that's you know? what people want him to do. I mean, yeah, like there are people there are people that say, "Hey, go for the ball." But what they don't understand there is the ball does not come without collision. There, like you, there's that's you want him to go for the ball. That's what that looks like. Yep. coming from twenty yards deep, there's no way for him to slow down anymore. He's running from the he's running from way back there. He doesn't have time to to gather yep. his feet. And also, if you look at the launch angle of Michael Pittman, which he's not doing that maliciously, he's trying to catch the ball, but he's launching too. He's the one who's launching, right? He's launching to catch the ball. He's almost parallel to the ground. And as he's falling, uh, you know, Kazee has to lower his target even more because then you've got to get under a parallel guy whose head is down and his his arms are outstretched. He's clearly defenseless. But for Kazee, in a 13-7 game with the playoffs on the line, yep. I want to know what you would rather have him do, and it sounds like you don't know either. Uh,
4: the only thing I could say is he's got to go through Pittman's hands.
3: Yes, but from that, that angle, there's no ex- way to ex- do
4: ex- it. And that's what I'm saying. And, and the contact might be worse because he's going to get the side of his ass. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Which yeah, yeah. is
4: way sturdy. You, know what? <laughs> you a don't fa- want to get yeah, hit a, by yeah. that. A, so, fans,
3: a fan said they'd rather him – Knee him in the head. I'm like, do you, have you been hit with a knee in the yeah, head? It's, it's worse. It,
4: but that's what I'm saying. If you go through the hands, then it's worse. And the idea that it's, I mean, out for the year. That that that's brutal to me. That no, that's I,
3: my, I understand the track record. I understand. Now, I do I'll too. acknowledge that. I've seen a couple of the, the, but, a couple of those hits are are you know they could be avoided. Yeah,
4: uh, understood there. But I I I think it's way too uh, rough of a penalty. And like I. It happens all the time. I I, I think you know now that we, with the hip drop, it's like we have to be able to tackle people. And I get it. There's no launch there. Is it? Is it? Look, and this is a problem. Scott and I watch games every Sunday together. The problem, every time we we know when you're watching the games, too hard of a hit gets flagged every time. Now,
2: every
3: time,
4: every time.
3: You got to look up. You're like up. Oh, he hit him hard. You know. Yeah.
4: And it's just the way it looks, and and the offensive guys know that.
3: Here's my thing too, is you know because people are going to be in the comments here of this video, and they're going to say he should go for the ball, he should do this, he should do that. If you're leaving a comment, please leave a detailed explanation describing because that's what I'm what what I'm asking for, uh, the process with which he would go for the ball and not do what he did because. I think if if you think about going for the ball, um, running 15, 20 miles an hour, the ball's in front of his face. And if you want to go for the guy's chest where the ball is going to be, well, it's not going to be because he's going to catch the ball extended. He's going to land that way. But if you want to go for the chest, there's no way to get to the chest Uh, without hitting him in the head because he's parallel to the ground. And I will say this, he didn't lead with his helmet. I've heard some people saying he led with his helmet. He, at the very last second, changes his launch angle ever so slightly to try to get the side of his shoulder on that guy. Now, you can say it's malicious. You can say you want it out of the game. And I would say, hey, I'd like to see it out of the game too. But my question is, what would you rather him do? And I, I read a guy on Twitter who watches a lot of film and will go unnamed and said, you just got to let him catch that ball. It's just not worth it for anybody in that situation. Tell
4: Mike Tomlin that.
3: Tell Mike Tomlin that who, who might lose his job, Mm. you know? And, and so I tell these guys that who are going to lose out on the playoffs and all that stuff. I'm not saying that's the difference in the game, but up 13 second at that point, if that play doesn't stand and they don't get the 15 yards, the game could be different. And so, uh, you got to get that ball off him. I don't know what else to do there. Hopefully, you just don't have a, tr- a track record walking I would like the, the
4: referees to show us,
2: too. What that's, what I like to that's, that's what I'd like what to I see. I want. That's what I'd like to see. Those
3: are the videos I want to I want I a physical demonstration Correct. of how you would do it.
2: Rather than throwing the flag right at the guy.
3: <laughs> he threw the flag right at him. <laughs> you know, you almost had a Orlando Brown Sr. situation. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, Here's what we got to talk about today. We're going to get into a little bit of college football afterwards, but I think it's really interesting to look at the playoffs if they started today because the first two years, a super wild card weekend, um, they were a little much, and not all the games were high quality. I mean, you talk about having backups now Mm -hmm. in the playoffs for the NFL. I still think this year could be the best wild card weekend, even with the quarterbacks that were probably trodden out there, especially in the AFC Look at last year, Steve. Seattle at San Francisco. That's a ten point line. Mm-hmm. LA at Jacksonville. Uh, I believe oh. it was one and a half. Uh, so that was a pretty good game. You had to come back, the whole yep. thing. Miami with Skylar Thompson going to Buffalo. They made it that's right. interesting, but it was 14 fourteen and a half. You had the Giants at the 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 Vikings, Whoa, wow. which which was oh, no, no, that was, that was the a great Eagles. game. You're the, the Eagles. Yeah. The Giants at the at the Vikings was maybe the best game of Wild Card Weekend, including that big comeback. And then you had Baltimore-Cincinnati with a backup quarterback, Cincinnati, laying over a touchdown. Dallas at Tampa Bay, which we could see again this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a three-point line, but not a fun game to watch. No. Uh, and if you go back to 21, you had Colts at Bills. That turned out to be a really good football game, if you remember that, at the very end of that game. Phillip Rivers, they almost beat the Bills, but that was a seven-point line. You had Rams at Seahawks, which I believe, looking at that line, I'm not misremembering. I think they had Wolford starting that game. Um, And then Bucks at Washington. Heineke was a backup at that point, technically. Seven and a half point line. Yeah.
4: These are are the games where nobody in the stance.
3: Yes, you yeah. had Ravens-Titans, which was a good one. Bears at Saints, the Nickelodeon game. That was one of the most dog-shit playoff games I've ever seen. That was a nine-point line. It was Trubisky. Yes. And then Brown steelers was a great game. Uh, the Browns jumped the Steelers on the road, and that was when the Steelers were kind of – they finished with 11 straight wins, and they were kind of fraudulent. And ben couldn't move the was whole thing. Ben's frame. last game? It was Ben's. I think it was the last game.
4: Yeah, because they got in on the last day of the season, I think, right. I remember.
3: Yep. And then, and then you look at – if you look at this year, and this is why I actually think it could be better. There's one game to me, and we're going to guess these lines, that I think could be close to a touchdown. We'll start in the NFC. Right now, it's Cowboys hosting Rams. Uh, it's it's Lions hosting Vikings. It's Bucks hosting the Eagles. Now, although I think that flips, um, the Niners on the bye. And in the AFC, you have the Ravens on the bye. You have the Colts visiting the Dolphins. You have the Bengals visiting the Chiefs. You have the Browns visiting the Jags. So let's start in what the What was the eight, last one? The Browns, Browns vi- visiting the Jags. Oh, I would love that game. A little rematch, yeah. Um, yeah. So which, which wild card game would you be most excited to see? And then we'll, 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 we'll go down and, and guess the lines.
4: Uh, I really want the Browns to go to the playoffs. I, I think what they've overcome this year and then just what we talked about with trevor lawrence yeah. like with everything there and you get a home game i i, I take that one i take brown jack i think I, I mean i know we just saw it and the you know the not knowing if trevor was it'd be a great play. game huh? it'd be a great game it was oh, a great game yeah. the first time it'd be a great game the that second defense knock. you know is going to travel uh in jacksonville gets their chance at home that's that's what you want uh, and now, now you got to go do it. So I don't think
3: it's possible necessarily. I mean, I guess it is possible, but the Browns visiting the Ravens would be, with Joe Flacco, at M would be incredible. And the same thing with I think on the other side, and I've mentioned this a couple times, L A going to Detroit, which would be a a game, and you'd have Stafford and Goff and McVay and Goff and the whole thing Stafford back in Detroit.
4: Did you have Rams cow at Cowboys?
3: So right now it's Rams at Cowboys.
4: Yeah. That that would be with Rams healthy. That that's Dallas doesn't want that.
3: No, the, nobody wants the Rams right now. The Eagles no. don't want the Rams right now. Um nobody wants the Rams right now. But if you look at it, let's start in the AFC, Colts at Dolphins. You guess the line. I'll give you what I what I had. I think it's seven. I had it at six. Okay. Okay, we're we're parking our car in the same garage here. We got uh Bengals at Chiefs. What say you? Six. I got four and a half. Okay. So I guess I'm betting the Bengals. Uh, and then we got Browns at Jags. Oof.
4: Jags minus one?
3: I have Jags minus two. Okay. I got Jags minus two. And then we've got Cowboys hosting the Rams. Now, if you look, the first time they played, it was an absolute massacre. Yeah. The line was six, I think. What do you think the second time around if the Rams get in?
4: I could see six.
3: Yeah, I was going to say four. Okay. And I guess I'm betting the Rams, okay? So Lions hosting the Vikings, I think it's four as well in this game.
4: Oh, I think it's more.
3: Do you think it's more if it's in Detroit?
4: Yeah, I'd go five. I, what, you what? just
3: got to consider if the, if the Vikings get in, I think that means that Nick Mullins looks – like he looked a lot of the game yeah that's what i'm trying to
4: i was just you know what it's funny you said that because i was just trying to do that with jake browning if they get in if they get in he's gonna be he's
2: gonna be josh dobbs of three weeks ago they will have beaten the lions probably if he get in
3: if they get in they'll probably have to beat the lions yeah like so that would be that would be a tough and because you know what you don't want to play a team twice in three weeks you know, uh, so let's go Bucks hosting the Eagles. This is an interesting one to me. If you ask before last night, people might say, you know, it's five and a half like it was the first time they went down there this year. That's right. Six. I think it'd be three today. Okay. Uh, well, and yeah, i and projecting bet the projecting that that
4: game happens and we, we are where we are. I would
3: bet the Eagles. Yeah. Now, Now, here's what's so interesting to me. I mean – The Bills are the elephant in the room, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Are they going to get in? How are they going to get in? Because they go two and one. Chances are if they go two and one. I think they're going to win division. I think they went out and they host a playoff game. And could you imagine if we had, you know, some variation of this, but the Bills hosting a playoff game, um, you know, possibly hosting the Bengals or something like that, the Texans getting in, because I'd like to see the Texans in. If the texans go two and one i think they're in it's all going to come down to that colts game anyways uh, last week of the season but could you imagine the texans going to kansas city that'd be great and that would leave probably the browns uh, or the dolphins and it'd probably be the dolphins and maybe the browns leapfrog the texans anyways by way of the dolphins getting knocked out and knocking a wild card team off the board but um i i, I want to see the browns in the playoffs so bad Me too. There's, there's too many teams in the AFC that I really want to see in the playoffs. I mean, yeah. I really want to see Browning in the playoffs. I really want to see the Browns in the playoffs. I really want to see the Texans in the playoffs. And I know the Dolphins are getting in the playoffs. Even if they lose out, they're going to get in the playoffs. So That's one right. of those teams is going to lose the game in musical chairs. And I, I don't know who you, you, you'd actually not mind. I mean, I want to see CJ Stroud in the playoffs. But what, do I want to see that more than I want to see Joe Flacco and the Browns in the playoffs? No. I think the Bengals and might I'm, be the and odd I'm man out.
4: New fresh blood too, but so yeah, it's more about the Browns with me not 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 Flacco. Like I said that that defense I've I've thought I mean I think we talked week 2 or week 3 about what I saw from them. I'm just like, "Wow, this is this is sustainable." And now obviously they lose Chubb and the quarterback situation with what it was, but those guys, the way they're playing and what they bring to the table every week, they I think they deserve to be in. Now they got to go do it. Uh feel like Houston's a little too fast.
2: Yeah,
3: you think it's too fast. I and, think it's and, too fast. And they stole that one last weekend. Oh. You know, I, if they were at full strength, I, I honestly think if they were at full strength, they had Tank Dell, um, I, I think they could win a playoff game in the playoffs, at least one. Um, I think CJ is that good, and I I like this team enough, but the injuries they've had, they're going to be tough. Now, a little preview into the locks, which are coming up next, hmm. I like their chances this weekend. So do I.
2: <laughs> good
3: to know
4: I do while we're on this I'm just thinking about who who's the first team that would go to San Francisco
3: as of right now Matt who would go to San Fran it'd, so be, the, would, it'd be the if worst winner if all the favorites winner. won if all the he, favorites won
2: it would be Philly it would be, be Philly, Philly. wow
3: but yeah but it would be Dallas because Philly's okay. gonna win out
2: if Philly and Dallas both go 3-0 Philly's gonna win out listen I, I couldn't Dallas.
3: I couldn't give them out um uh, cuz I don't give out other teams when the Eagles play like if you'll notice when the San Francisco 49ers played the Eagles if you asked in this building I was like yeah San Francisco cool. and when on the on the show I just didn't pick it I was like I'm not prepared to pick this game got it and um and you know Dallas a little bit of a hedge for me but last night was a game I didn't feel great about for the Eagles and the next couple I feel like they can win those even with the problems they have and if it stays the way it it stays, the Eagles are going to take the NFC East, um, mm-hmm. as I understand it. So, yep. you know, th- it might be Dallas going to San Francisco, you know, and it might be the Eagles yeah. uh, headed to Detroit or vice versa.
4: And they're going to have to go to Tampa the week before, or whoever the NFC South is.
3: Yeah, so, so pretty that's... interesting. A lot riding on that thing because I said this on the show the other day. The reason that Bucks win so important is – you know, if you want anybody to win the division from the NFC South, and you're one of the Cowboys and the uh, the Eagles, you probably the last team you want to win the division would be the Bucks, um, yeah. because those guys have been there. Uh, quarterback hasn't, but he's been around, and Canales doing a good job, and and they got the run game going. The Saints, tough place to play, but I just don't know who they are. In the Falcons, you'd love it if they won the NFC South. Oh. They can't get out of their own way. No doubt. Can you? Hey, I would say this again. Can you believe Arthur Smith, man? Like, here's my problem, and it's encapsulated perfectly in this sequence. Bijan John Robinson, your best chance to win that game in any game you play in. He fumbles. It's a bad fumble. You yank him. You can't really run the ball on the few uh, possessions you have left. It leads to a second and long, and that's where Ritter goes hero ball in the red zone, where all you need to do is be a game manager. The irony for me is you took Bijan Robinson out of the game because he's not taking care of the football, and the guy that you've defended all year long, even giving Heineke the hook when you put him in, is Desmond Ritter. And Desmond Ritter is a turnover machine, and he's cost you multiple games by not taking care of the football, but you take the best player on the offense out. you know, And earlier in the game, at third and seven, at midfielder in plus territory, it's a 7-3 game, and they go under center and hand the ball to B. John Robinson because you don't trust your quarterback. So I don't know what the fuck they're doing down there.
4: Yeah, it's – and now I just saw the Heineke's coming back.
3: I like that. Yeah, I like that I, I think you have to. You I have mean,
4: to. You, you talked about the confidence thing. Like, that's basically right there, um, the well, aftermath of it, you know.
3: Speaking of confidence, uh, I'm not that confident in my locks. We're all uh, winners so far this year 22, 21, and two. Uh, bringing up the rear here, I had a bad weekend. Uh, Macon 25 and 20, and Steve 25, 19 and one. I got a little ground to make up with. Um, I can't remember if we do these things through the playoffs usually. Weren't we doing these or no? We should we just it. do one. Ooh. You know what? Next that year, getting... you're not going to like what I have to say. Oh, boy. Next year, we should pick every game every week.
4: <laughs> <laughs> All right.
3: Because, I, 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 you know, like, my problem right now is not picking winners. It's going to be a long video for winners. those guys to clip. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but, you know, they're they're good at this stuff. I think then they it are. goes to a graphic, you know? There you go. Um, it's like the but, NIL. But right now, you know, last weekend, just to take you through it, I had the Bills. That oh, was man. That was great. I had the Falcons. Desmond Ritter, as you can already tell, not very popular with me. I knew it's like the Kadarius Tony thing for me. You know, it's I'm Patrick Mahomes on the bench. I keep giving you these chances, Desmond. I cannot believe I gave him out in a lock all all week. I read about how it was a sucker bet, and it turned out to be because Desmond can't ice the game or the cover. I had the Vikings. Bengals under thirty nine. That one got away from me late. Uh, Macon took the Lions minus five. That was a no-brainer. Jags plus three and a half. And then the Browns minus two and a half. Bought the half point, okay? Uh, I had, in real life, Bears plus three. Mm. And that ball, when it hit Mooney's chest. (laughs) And then five minutes later, after I caught my breath, I asked, what did these guys have in the locks? Because I know somebody was on the Browns and somebody was on the Bears. And both you motherfuckers won because you both you both bought half points and it landed on three. Yep. So Steve had the Bears. He had the Rams. Was a good play. I like that one in real life too. And then Saints minus six. Saints were
4: my favorite pick of the year.
3: Wow! What did you see?
4: There's no cutlets in New Orleans.
3: It was that was it was that simple. <laughs>
4: that thing was done.
3: We've got the locks this week. The suggestions. So I'm up first, and without batting an eye, I'm gonna take the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, This is a tailor-made bounce-back spot for a team, in my opinion, that people don't understand. Okay, people think they're frauds. It all depends on who you play. Mm -hmm. Can you run the ball up the middle of the defense? Can you pound the middle of the defense? I don't think that's what Miami is going to be able to do. They're going to get out on the edges, right? And I actually think if you have special guys on the edge, which they do, you can make life hell for Miami – running that that wide zone action and everything that comes off of it the pass rush like I I really feel good about the pass rush in this situation the reason um I think that you know like Tennessee is able to beat Miami is because their pressure rate's 44 percent and you know we talked about that whenever there's pressure on Tua I think this is the weekend where you get it and everybody's like the Dolphins are back or they're they're yeah, they're back. They're back to being what they—they they beat they, the dog shit out of bad teams, and we'll see this weekend. But I, I like the Cowboys.
4: They, two things: Dolphins are in trouble health-wise. Yes, like very like that roster is depleted, and please Dolphins wear the white uniform, so the Cowboys have to wear the navy blue. Please.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. But that right now it's solid. It. This thing opened. Uh, I think it opened with the Cowboys favored by one. Now they're at one and a half. Steve. Little friendly advice for me, would you just wait to bet this until it yes. goes to three when Cheetah is announced? Yes. Okay. So don't bet it now. It's not gonna go the other way, it's just gonna keep going that way. Uh I can't see it going the other way. I get I guess the only way it goes the other way is if Cheetah's down. Correct. They already they're, got, they're, they got all the Miami
4: money and it's only gonna keep going that way. You're right.
3: And guess what? If they don't play, I bet if Cheetah doesn't play, I bet the Cowboys at minus four. That's what I'm saying. I got you. You know what I'm saying is, you know, I should just wait. Is you know, yes, just wait. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna sit on my hands for a little bit, Steve.
2: Yeah. I am Macon's proxy. You're today. Macon's
3: proxy, Matts, because oh. Macon's got a stomach bug. Like Again? half the the city.
2: Yeah. Again. Yeah. Macon oh. takes Rams minus four.
3: It's a great play. I'm already on the Rams in real life. I love. I love that. I, love I real hate life. the fact that I got. I hate the fact that I got a root for. Macon's lock, but yeah, here we go Thursday, oh, night. Thursday night. He's trying to get out ahead. Cause Steve, I had the over last night. I had it for a week. As soon as I heard Slay was down, I thought I beat the books to it. And I thought I had, you know, trick-dicked the books, but the books had trick-dicked me, and that number went from 47 down to 45, and with good reason.
4: Just on principle, give me the under and commander's
2: jets.
3: I think you might get hurt there, Steve.
2: It happens. Okay. I just, I have to take that. Okay, Under thirty-seven and a half.
3: Okay, I'm up. I like the Texans. I Damn like the I like the Texans. Yeah, you should have picked them first. Damn it! You're you're not you're you're like Trevor Lawrence right now. Mm. You're not remembering five minutes ago in the game. Nope. Uh, I Macon's gonna be mad too. <laughs> well, fuck Macon. I I like the Texans. I love the nice. Texans in this spot because C.J. Stroud's gonna come back and the the, Bra- the Browns match match are different up. on the road. They are different on the road, yep. and I like the Texans here.
4: See? Oh, you know what? They played there last year, and that was one of Deshaun's first games back. He was awful. That's what I remember, his game back there last year. Yep. I was like, yep. I, I remember this game. Uh, Makin's
2: up. Jaguars
3: plus one. That's a good play. I like it, but wow. Trevor Lawrence is in
2: minus uh, one places. Yeah, it was a uh, pick em this morning, then I got plus one. Well, right.
3: Tre- Trevor's in concussion protocol as of right now, and and now I'm in two impossible situations because I bought the the Jags over ten and a half a few a few weeks ago. I didn't know they play like this. Obviously, now I got to root for the Jags to win. Macon's locked to hit, and the Rams to win, and Macon's locked to hit. Fuck me, running. Okay.
4: Uh, f- this team has come near and dear to my heart, and I really feel for them. But they've been good to me against the spread. Give me the Bears minus four and a half.
3: I think I think they bludgeon them. I agree with you. I think they do. I love. Uh, yeah, he keep his Floes.
4: job. Give me the Do
3: You think Fluce should keep his job? Yes. Just find a new coordinator.
2: Correct. Exactly. And, and, and figure out the quarterback.
3: Yeah, I don't think there's much to figure out there. What are you doing at this juncture?
4: Uh, I'm drafting two quarterbacks. And then (laughs) letting them go through training camp, keeping the best one and trading the other two. Brilliant! (laughs)
2: It's actually a great idea.
3: Yeah, I guess until your second quarterbacks like um, hell of a
4: training camp. You want Davis mills (laughs) sign him up for hard knocks.
3: Um, All right. So I guess it's my pick here and uh, I'm just going to do it, man. I think everybody's going to be on the Ravens. I'm on the Niners. That's a, that's a lot of points, but I think they're a class above everybody else. And I think the Ravens, some of the things that I'm worried about with the Ravens are going to come to fruition in this game. I'll take the Niners. What are you getting the Niners? Five and a half right now? Okay, that's a funky number.
2: Yeah.
4: They have six first-round draft picks in that front group. Crazy. Yeah. That's...
2: Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. All right, Macon's last pick, Chargers plus 11. 11.
3: And that's the sharp play this week. Yeah. So I might, I might. Why is that? That's a, you know that's how he picks. He just finds out who's who's. Yeah. You know he takes the the he 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 fades the public. He looks up where the public is and he fades the public, and he says I have a formula. <laughs> so why is the why is char, why are the Chargers the sharp play this week?
4: Because everybody's taking Buffalo.
3: I know. They're just but, going against the public. I know, but why? Like, why did we all agree that we knew everybody would be taking Buffalo, but there's enough people that are willing to look at what Easton Stick did last week? Like, how many points are you assuming they score, I guess, is my question.
2: Mm.
3: When you do the math that way, I don't know, 14? Then it's just Josh Allen against uh, the ghost of Brandon Staley. Yeah. Which might be better than Brandon Staley. <laughs> And maybe that's the problem.
4: <laughs> so Levis got the high ankle. I don't think he's going to be able to go. So that means I don't we get. T- huh? I don't think he's going. Yeah. So we got Tannehill, right?
3: Yeah, I think it's either Tannehill. Got to be Tannehill. Or yeah, I don't or, see Fraves putting Malik
4: Willis out there. Maybe
3: situationally.
4: Gee. Uh How'd
3: that work out last time?
4: Yeah. I'm going to take the over in the Packers and Panthers
3: game.
2: Wow, 36 and a half.
4: Low number.
3: It is a low number. You got Joe Barry out there.
4: Everybody's favorite guy.
3: You know, uh, you never know what happens. And then going through some of these other games to see what what, what we're eyeing up. up outside.
2: You want your half point? Oh, I'll take my half point. Yeah, fuck yeah, I'll take that somewhere. I- I'll take Macon's on the Jaguars. Where are you it, Chris?
3: I'm going to take it with the... Ooh, that's tough. Either the Texans or the Niners, because I- I'm not worried about the Cowboys catching points. Um, Niners minus five I feel like more games end at two Sure Than five So I'll take I'll take Texans minus two
4: uh, Put mine on the Bears please Gotcha
3: He said please and everything um, Alright so if we're looking at the slate uh, Browns Interesting Texans- slate I, It really is If you're sitting there watching the 1pm's How you got your TV set up this week
4: How many TVs do I have
3: you got like th- four. Okay. One of them's big. The other three are small.
4: Okay. Um, The big is Texans Browns.
3: Yeah, that's the big TV for me too.
4: I have to put Commander's Jets on just to see it.
3: I'm not putting it on. Maybe I'm on. Going, I'm going Lions, Vikings. Yes. Okay. Because I got the Vikings under win total, so which is miraculously. Col- you would
4: rather have Colts and your Falcons than Commander's Jets.
3: Yes, because honestly, I'm probably going to bet that Colts game. I'm probably going to bet <laughs> the Falcons come this weekend. Too. The Falcons. Wow. Because Taylor Heineke, I'm a fanboy. And, um, and then I'm going to want the Seahawks and, and Titans on. I, I, I just feel like that's a game I want to see. Okay. Steve, I'm wishing you luck this week. I really All hope right. you win the locks. If it's not me, it's, you know, I just hope it's a good, solid guy. And so uh, I'm rooting for you. I'm rooting for you too. Screw Thanks. that other guy. He probably didn't have it. a
4: hat to put on. That's why he didn't come in. Yeah, he just didn't have a hat. He couldn't go two straight weeks oh. with no hat on the pod.
3: Hey, Steve. Shout out to the branch, bro.
4: Shout out to the branch. Happy holidays to all the boys and girls behind and, the scenes. And appreciate happy you guys. holidays.
3: Happy holidays to Hendon Hooker, who just got called up to the 53. Wow.
4: Hey, that's a Christmas present.
3: Mm-hmm. All right Good for him. Talk to you soon, Steve. Bye, bud.